All right. Welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny and I'm joined this week as always by my co-host Brian Wells, along with a special guest host, Benjamin Carlson, who is back on He's Done It to help us break down the 2021 NFL Draft. We'll react to the five quarterbacks taken in the top 15. Uh, Both Ben's 49ers and Brian's Patriots snagged a guy that they're hoping will be the quarterback of the future. And we'll also talk about some of the other notable picks throughout the first round, some of the more intriguing selections throughout the draft, along with our draft's biggest winners and biggest losers. And in honor of Cinco de Mayo, we will end the show by counting down our favorite Mexican things in this week's top five. So with that, let's get started. last week talking about what we think could happen, what might happen, you know, what we want to happen in the NFL draft. We're ready to react to it this week. And we are joined by a special guest. And Brian, you know, I let you introduce Kenny last time. So let's let's uh, give you a shot at uh, introducing our guest again this time. Please welcome uh, a former member of the He's Done It podcast, Benjamin Carlson. Woo! <laughs> hello, hello. Good to be back. Good to be talking football with the He's Done It guys. Absolutely. We're very excited to have you, and especially given that your 49ers had the third overall pick, a very important and huge choice that was dominating NFL draft talk for the past two months. So we'll get into that. I mean, of it course. It was bad for my mental health. Yeah, it was oh, I'm terrible sure. yeah. to hear all of everybody's rancid takes about what they knew f- that for sure that Kyle Shanahan was definitely going to do with the number three overall pick. Yeah, and it was, uh, you know, depending on who, it probably shocked a lot of people. Uh, we'll get into that quickly, but I guess just to start things out, of course, you are a former member of He's Done It, but a current member of Affable Chat podcast, movie review, Twitch streaming, and you definitely have some very interesting episodes coming out. I know you have some kind of crossover episode. You did a podcast in person with Joey, so I'll give you some quick time to do any plugs here. Listen, if you've listened to He's Done It, you know who I am. Check out Affable Chat wherever you get your podcasts or on literally all of the uh, social medias at affable chat we're everywhere uh check us out if you like movies and pop culture all right so with that let's get into the draft talk and you know before we get into the pick number three i'll just kind of 
give like a, a quick opportunity to talk about Trevor Lawrence to the Jaguars, Zach Wilson to the Jets. And Brian and I talked about these two guys, our thoughts on them going one and two. That is exactly what happened as expected. I mean, I guess as someone who was like, ooh, what is going to happen at three, Ben? Like, do you have any thoughts on those top two guys going off the board right away? Well, you know, I'm I'm chomping at the bit to talk about pick number three, but I will give my opinion on uh, Jacksonville. I just think it's an interesting place to be in. Trevor Lawrence was the de facto number one pick years ago. They decided this. They, everyone knew he was the golden boy straight out of high school. And I, I can't help but feel like it's a little bit underwhelming when the quarterback draft class, draft class ended up being this deep uh maybe deep is the wrong word but top heavy i mean there's a lot of uh potential franchise quarterbacks here um and when you're jacksonville and you've suffered for so long it's nice to guaranteed get the best one but uh it, it almost feels like you're sh- you're uh, pigeonholed into taking trevor lawrence because why wouldn't you right uh <laughs> yeah. and now he really does have to deliver um and it almost I, I don't know it almost feels like they were it was decided for them yeah, I mean, there were a lot of scouts that I was reading that said like they would have a hard time passing up on other players for Trevor Lawrence. But it's like, you're right, they they were kind of forced into taking him. But I, I think that there's a reason why he was supposed to be the number one overall pick and why Urban Meyer and the Jaguars didn't necessarily question it. They ultimately took him. Um, I... I guess in terms of like Zach Wilson to the Jets at number two, that was really kind of the the lesser known commodity. Uh, you know, he's someone who rose up. I guess would were you kind of hoping that oh maybe the Jets would be kind of like thrown off by smoke screens and Wilson to fall to the Forty ers And if not, oh yeah, I guess, okay, yeah. He was Oh yeah. Okay. No, I but but my problem is I'm I mean if you've listened to he's done it for a long time, this is no mystery. I personally am horrible at scouting quarterback prospects I do not know what I'm talking about last year on the podcast I, these aren't exact quotes but I said something to the extent of uh the Justin uh not Herbert. Justin Fields uh Justin, Justin Herbert. Herbert will never win rookie of the year Justin Herbert will never shatter the rookie touchdown record uh Justin Herbert to the Chargers it, it guaranteed bust so I I I don't trust my own evaluation of quarterbacks I don't know what it is specifically that uh, that Wilson has that made him the de facto number two, uh, but the experts seem to agree that the Jets and and Wilson were the you know the greatest pairing uh, next to Jacksonville and Lawrence. So I tend to believe them. I don't. It, it's kind of an uh, nebulous to me. I just think that if people were saying he should be a two, it would have been nice for him to fall to us at three. Okay. Well, I guess given that, let's let's jump into pick number three. So, and kind of walk us through your thoughts. Like you said, it, it, it was like a roller coaster of emotions in terms of your mental health. Like, what were your expectations going into the draft? And then I guess just what are your reactions to what actually happened? Okay. I never thought we were going to take Mac Jones, okay? I don't understand why anybody believed those phony stories that were coming out about how Kyle Shanahan and the front office are totally divided and, and they can't agree on anything. Kyle Shanahan is desperate to blow up the entire Niners' future to reach on Mac Jones and John Lynch is pulling his hair out demanding, no, we have to take a, a different quarterback because Mac Jones is obviously 
obviously garbage. And everyone is like, oh my gosh, the Niners are stupid enough to ruin their entire franchise with enough, like to move up and to take Mac Jones, who could have easily been there at 12. Uh, it was just, it was so painful to see so many quote unquote experts who were so certain about something that had no evidence at all, nothing to justify it, total hearsay. That's the part that was, I think, bad for my mental health. Uh, I mean, I loved the intrigue of being at the top of the draft and evaluating all the different options that were there. But having everyone be so certain that the Niners would do something completely bonkers uh, really had me steaming. I'll admit, I thought Mac Jones was going to the Niners uh, for... Most of the week heading into the draft, I would say Thursday Thursday morning slash afternoon is when I noticed the Trey Lance steam uh, really picking up. And all of a sudden, he became the favorite to go to the Niners at number three. And that's when I kind of realized, realized that, man, I definitely fell for the quote-unquote reporting. Because let's, let's face it, even though there were talks from even Schefter and Kuyper and others that Jones was likely to go number three to the Niners. There really wasn't uh, a concrete report saying, hey, this is this is going to happen. Uh, so that's definitely a learning lesson for me in terms of uh, knowing what to believe coming into drafts. Yeah, well... Now, I, I'll... Well, go ahead, Corey. I was just going to say, I mean, just talking about Brian, like we did talk about ideal landing spots for Trey Lance. I said the 49ers, and you wouldn't even entertain the yeah, idea of I, the 49ers I didn't even, because you didn't think I, it would I didn't happen, even so. think of it because I'll admit, I was definitely set on that the Niners were going to take Mac Jones. From, from the week, from last Thursday to, or two Thursdays ago to, I would say, the morning of that the draft night uh, is when I was thinking it was Jones, but then all of a sudden I realized that, yeah, it's Kyle Shanahan was just playing all of us and it was going to be Lance. Sure. And the thing is, it just, what frustrated me was just how illogical it would be to jump, to give up that much and still just take Mac Jones where it's like, we could potentially have Mac Jones at 12 or we can definitely have Mac Jones. And then we don't get any first round picks for the next two years. Yeah. Uh, in what world does that make? Does that logic add up? So, when he we traded up, I knew it wasn't Mac Jones, but I also thought it was definitely going to be Justin Fields. Okay. So I was I was a little bit surprised when they called out Trey Lance because I won't say that I like when uh, I actually talked about this on my stream on twitch.tv slash affable chat. So if you want to go back and see exactly what I said, um, I was calling Adam Schefter's reports that it's like deadlocked between Trey Lance and Mac Jones bogus. I was like, he, they have to at least be considering uh, Justin Fields and uh, and uh, and uh, I I I think that just comes from the bias of being a casual college football uh, watcher. You know, when you see a guy who does such heroics in the college football playoffs, why wouldn't you want that guy to join your team? And uh, especially when you need a quarterback. So I think that's who I wanted. And I think by picking Trey Lance the professionals at football probably know something I don't. So (laughs) I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to let Kyle Shanahan pick the guy that he wants and believe in that. But I, I'm going off of pure faith at this point. I've watched enough Justin Fields and I've seen what he can do. That's who I wanted the most. I'm going to be straight up front about that, but I'm willing to hear them out on Trey Lance. 
Yeah, and I think that was kind of like the struggle that Brian and I were talking about last week where we're like, Fields was the guy. He was the bona fide number two to Trevor Lawrence. And then all of a sudden, it's like Zach Wilson is ahead of him. Trey Lance, Mac Jones, these guys are ahead of him. What happened? Like, what what went wrong with Justin Fields? Like, we saw enough Ohio State games and his success to kind of feel like he should have been the guy at three. So I totally understand that logic. Trey Lance is also an unknown commodity, having not only come from an FCS school, but only playing one game in 2020. Uh, that being said, I, I do think this is a really solid fit for the 49ers, and I'm excited to see what Lance does whenever he gets the opportunity. To be this is a crazy idea, but what if Justin Fields didn't play last year? Would he, his draft spot have been higher than where it ended up being? I mean, did anything of his performance last year... like? People talk uh, would, about would that have how affected he's, him? he's not really that great after his first read, and he struggled in the Indiana game in the middle of the middle of the season, and that stuff <laughs> yeah, actually I, dropped him out of the top ten. I think it's crazy to say that it was performance based, just because it seemed like he was number two entering the offseason you know after beating Clemson like he he was a number two guy who was going to go to the Jets and then it was just like pro day stuff or those other guys rose up and he fell for whatever reason um so I, I I don't know I think it's crazy to think that his performance was was the issue because it's one game out of like seven or so and I know he wasn't amazing and they played a shortened season but I I, I don't know I, smart, I don't think it was he's smart too he's, he's not field. just athletic he he, there were talks about him when he was a lot younger that he could have gone to Harvard. Wow. Which is... Could yeah, have been like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. I mean, he, he ended up going to Georgia, of course, but <laughs> yep. there were talks about him going to Harvard. Yeah. Which obviously, it wasn't going to happen, but he's smart. he was smart enough right. to get there. Uh, I just... I, um, I decided that I wanted him... Well, okay. I actually wasn't really thinking the Niners would have a chance at him originally because the Niners were bad last season, but they weren't top of the draft bad. So I, you know, I didn't even consider the possibility of picking up a quarterback really until we made that trade. Uh, but after seeing what he did against Clemson, I mean, Justin Fields is a gamer. He's a baller. He's a guy who is going to play through injury, unlike a certain 49ers quarterback <laughs> who continues to miss games and and totally wreck our chances of winning. Not saying that, it, yeah, I mean, injuries happen, it's football, but at this point, we need to look for somebody who can be injury averse, and that was something that was definitely inspiring in Justin Fields' performance. There's been a lot of discourse about him. The people bring up his performance against Clemson. They're like, he's the god of college football, better than Trevor Lawrence. He outplayed Trevor Lawrence in on the biggest stage. And then people bring up, oh, but did you see him lose to Alabama? He's literally the worst college quarterback. And and honestly, college production is so nebulous when it comes to like quarterbacks being good in the NFL. So I don't know what to think. I think by picking Trey Lance at three, uh, at least 49ers fans will always compare him to Justin Fields in Chicago uh, because he is the guy who we could have had. We were never taking Jones at three. So I think that's going to be the conversation is w whether or not we made the right choice at three. Well, I think that's a good transition into Justin Fields. And we were talking so much about him. Like you just said, he ends up going to the Chicago Bears who move up from number 20 to number 11, sending next year's first round pick to the New York Giants to get Fields. And 
I mean, first of all, were you guys expecting the Bears to make a move like this for a quarterback? Yeah, you know, obviously I, they were a team that could have used one. You yeah. were okay. I I think just given that Ryan Pace and uh, Matt Nagy, two guys that were both <laughs> have both talked about being very low on, uh, and they're still not, they still haven't been fired yet. I feel like this is their last shot at being successful GMs or coaches in the in for the Bears and. They don't have a quarterback that's good enough to make the playoffs with Dalton or Foles, so I feel like they had to. They were kind. They kind of had no choice but to actually make a move like this and get Justin Fields. So I actually did expect uh, a trade up uh, from the Bears at some point in the draft. So I'm, I was not surprised by that at, at all. And, I, and another funny thing uh, also is that uh, as a Patriots fan seeing them at number 15 I wanted them to get fields and I literally said to myself the one team that I worry about trading up uh and getting fields is the bears and all of a sudden I just see the giants logo changing from to the bears logo I'm just like <laughs> wow oh yeah it, it was like the the subway Tra- yeah uh, trade like tracker or whatever it was alert. and all of a sudden changes the uh, bears logo and I'm just like crap ah <laughs> And then and I knew it was going to be Fields, too, once that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think when, once the Bears actually made that move, Fields wasn't surprising. I, I guess going into the draft, I didn't necessarily expect them. Like, Chicago and Washington were two teams. I personally didn't think that Fields would even be on the board that long. I thought somebody would have to trade up even higher in the draft to get him, so that's why I didn't really think that. Uh, but it certainly played well into the Bears' hands to get Fields at 11. And I think... You know, the the question from here is once the kind of post-draft excitement wears off on fields, like, do you guys believe that he is going to be the savior in Chicago or is he just going to be another guy on the list of Bears quarterbacks who just have not thrown for 4,000 yards in a season? They haven't necessarily been a, a fixture in this league. So I guess, are you are you nervous at all that fields is going to be affected or is he going to be that savior in Chicago? So, well, my take on it was the reason, like some people said that you couldn't draft Justin Fields at three is because he has motivation issues. He doesn't want it. Okay. And I personally think those things are totally, that's ridiculous to say all these guys really want to play football. Like, uh, I think that's a ridiculous uh, thing to levy against him with no uh, real evidence, but I think that if Justin Fields had been drafted three by the Niners, then he would be like, oh, yeah, I, I, this I'm so good. I got drafted number three. I don't have to try. And then he would be terrible for the Niners. But then when the Niners let him pass and he falls out of the top ten, now he has a massive chip on his shoulder and he's going to take it upon himself to destroy the, like the entire league and punish the teams that passed on him. So I think he will actually be amazing for the Bears because now he's not just Justin Fields. He's vengeful Justin Fields and he's going to be uh he's going to prove all of the doubters wrong because they de- like they so clearly doubted him on that would be a reason for me to be excited about Fields I guess the reason why I'd be worried is just because of the team he's on I mean it's not that I don't have faith well, in him okay, so I don't have faith <laughs> in the Bears it's true it, but in my opinion, the worst thing the Bears did was draft and play Mitch Trubisky. And not having Trubisky there, I don't know how much I feel like this because I feel like I haven't felt this way in a while, but there was a time where I felt like Matt Nagy was a really good coach. (laughs) (laughs) And if he just had a competent quarterback, then he could have a really good team. So 
if he can return to that kind of form, I think Justin Fields is a, is good, is a good enough quarterback so that a good coach can shine. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a fair way to talk about Nagy. I mean, he won Coach of the Year in 2018, and it was it was all it took was the Bears just falling fast from that 12 and four season to outside the playoffs in 2019 for everyone to totally sour on him. And yeah, I mean, I I think it's harsh to say that Fields has no chance just because you went to the Bears, but I I can't help but feel like you know people had to have a reason for Justin Fields to go from top two, maybe even number one pick for a brief moment to outside the top 10. And I think that's that's kind of the the way that I was, I was trying to think about it is like, obviously people in the NFL have to know what they're doing, right? But at the same time, we've seen so many Do quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, we've seen so many quarterbacks just go way higher than they should. You know, teams reach on guys as they think they're the guy. And we've seen guys who prove to be great fall in the draft so uh i i certainly think there's reason for bears fans to be optimistic about fields i also think that there's plenty of reason for them to be like it's probably not going to work out well because we're the bears and quarterbacks never work out well for us um I, i'm certainly excited to see what happens and i think this is a pick that i'm really interested in seeing when he gets that opportunity to start because the expectation going in with Trey Lance was that he wouldn't be ready you know Jimmy Garoppolo probably has the one season does Andy Dalton have a full season is Justin Fields gonna take over like within a couple weeks or even be the week one starter I think that this is going to be an interesting quarterback competition to play out and see just how ready Fields is to to go and take over the reins in Chicago right and and can I just bring up another situation where you know, professionals supposedly knew what they were doing. Deshaun Watson fell even further than this in the draft. And for better or for worse, I was more familiar with Deshaun Watson because he played for my school's rival. And I was personally, Deshaun Watson dabbed in my general direction after doing a, like scoring a touchdown right in front of me. So I, I definitely knew he was good and it surprised me to see how far he fell. And this felt a lot like that. It felt a lot like for no reason people are like, uh, Deshaun Watson is not a top 10 pick in this draft. And then look at what he's done. I don't see, I think that there's a lot of things that could happen. But one of the things that could happen is that Justin Fields has a similar situation where he's way, like he's as good as advertised and he's fell for, you know, weird reasons that don't reflect reality. And his upside would be Deshaun Watson as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I do think that's a really good comparison. And I mean, I, I've said that the Bears, you know, everyone say they should have taken Patrick Mahomes at two. There's no way that Mahomes is who he is if he was in Chicago instead of Kansas City. But I do believe they should have taken <laughs> Deshaun Watson over. Yeah, in that Trubisky, same draft, so. the Jags took Fournette at four, and people were saying, "Oh, they should, Mah- the Jags should have taken Mahomes." Like, would Mahomes be the same quarterback if he went to Jacksonville? <laughs> no way. No. <laughs> All right. And then I guess, you know, finally, let's let's wrap up with the last quarterback who was taken in the top 15. And that was Mac Jones, who did not go to Ben's 49ers, but he ultimately went to Brian's Patriots. So, Brian, I guess, what are your thoughts on New England? Not necessarily having to do anything. They didn't have to trade up to get their quarterback, but they, they ultimately got the fifth quarterback taken in the draft. Yeah. Once the Niners took Trey Lance, I'll admit, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, the Patriots are going to get Mac Jones. And uh, and the reason why I thought that was once he got past the Niners, I'm thinking to myself, 
what other team was actually interested in Mac Jones uh, in that range? I'm thinking the Patriots are the next uh, <laughs> favorite to, to, to land on Mac Jones, and that's exactly what happened. And I, I knew Belichick wasn't going to trade up to get a quarterback, whether that was Fields or Mac Jones, just because he doesn't want to lose that leverage. And look at what the Bears gave up to get to trade up to get Fields. They had to give up a, another first-round pick, and Belichick is probably thinking, I'm not going to give up another a future first round pick just to move up a few spots to get the quarterback. I'll just let, I'll just play out the draft and let the guy fall to, to 15. And I mean, I'm, I don't love Mac Jones personally, but Mac Jones does kind of fit what the Patriots are looking for in a quarterback where they don't value the mobility and they value more in the, the accuracy and the decision-making in the pocket. And I also like that they finally have a plan at quarterback because I can't do another year of Cam Newton and Jared Stidham. I mean, Jared Stidham didn't really play, but Cam Newton did, and he was not good at all. I mean, he's pretty much washed up. I thought that before the season, and I think that I still think that now. And so they need a actual plan at quarterback, and they sort of have one now. Even though Cam Newton might start Week One, which I I'll admit I don't like. I like to think Mac Jones will eventually be the starting QB uh, uh, later in the year. But regardless, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'll admit, I don't love Mac Jones personally. And I, I don't think he's really a franchise changing quarterback. I mean, if I'm looking at best comparisons from past quarterbacks, I think he's a lot like Chad Pennington, where he's a very, very smart, very accurate, but he wasn't a guy that changed the Jets. He wasn't a franchise a changing quarterback so I don't I'll admit I don't I don't love it but I get it at the same time I uh, I feel similar about uh Mac Jones to the Patriots I think I th- I just like the idea I I like the idea of Mac Jones playing for Bill Belichick I think that's a pairing that works well obviously Mac Jones had a lot of success in college under Nick Saban and Again, I don't know them personally, so I don't know if this is pe- fair to say, but I kind of put Nick Saban and Bill Belichick in a similar Yeah, no, uh, there's an like, obvious place. Belichick-Saban connection, and and I even mentioned that last week, and it came to fruition in this draft again. Their first two picks, not just one, but two picks were Alabama guys. Right. Well, and, and again, I know the, there's certain things that I believe, despite the popular narrative, like I still think Bill Belichick's a good coach, even though right now the popular narrative is he's actually complete garbage. And the only reason the pages were good was because of Tom Brady. No, I, be- um, but I, I believe he's the greatest coach ever. I, but I'll admit I talk, talk shit about him since Brady won a Super Bowl and he <laughs> had a losing record. I'll admit that. Right, right, but yeah. I think I think Mac Jones is a guy who you Belichick can use, a guy who can understand what Belichick wants out of his offense and take care of the ball and, and put the Patriots in a position to win the game. Because Belichick, I mean, there's times where Belichick wins with like tricky coach only shit, you know, where he'll put the he'll line a tackle up at tight end and confuse the Ravens or slightly deflate the footballs. Like he's got his his ways of winning. And Mac Jones can be plugged in and do what Belichick needs him to do. Um, I think Mac Jones isn't going to be the savior of a franchise, but he can be a really useful tool in the right system. And the Patriots, I think, have that. And just look at what they did in free agency. They picked up the two best uh, tight end guys in the market in Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. And then they picked up Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. And I don't think 
they did all that for Cam Newton. They did all that for another promising quarterback. So I think it, even though I don't, again, don't love Mac Jones, it makes, it does make all the sense in the world. I, I don't know that Mac Jones is necessarily the best fit for the Patriots, but I can't help but think that the Patriots are the best fit for Mac Jones. He's someone who can kind of come in and like, he has that kind of Tom Brady like mold to him. And it's not just the way that he looked. Oh, oh yeah. The, winning yeah, the, the national the, championship. The Patriots game, definitely have a thing for, they combine. have a thing for guys who throw accurately and have make great decisions, but also have dad bods before uh, the draft. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think there is so much hate headed toward Mac Jones's way. Like all these people who hated him going to the 49ers with a third pick, like it's such a stupid choice for the Niners to do that, that it almost feels like Jones has to have a great career. And the fact that he's going to New England with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels just makes it even more likely because that's just how it always works. So I, I mean, I get not being super optimistic about taking Mac Jones, the fifth quarterback. You had 14 teams pass on him, and you teams traded up and gave up multiple picks to make sure that they didn't get Mac Jones and they got someone else. But uh, I, I totally understand why some Patriots fans considered him a draft crush and like why they thought that he would be the perfect guy. And the fact that the Patriots got him at 15, didn't have to trade up, this could easily be something where like they look like huge winners compared to other teams who gave up future for different quarterbacks so i guess given that just real quickly on the quarterbacks five were taken in the first round last time this happened 2018 those five quarterbacks were baker mayfield who the browns probably don't regret taking maybe they would have rather had josh allen or lamar jackson who went later in the first but they certainly can't be disappointed that they took baker over sam darnold and josh rosen just given what those two uh have amounted to in their three years in the league so in all likelihood all five of these first round quarterbacks are not going to be you know future pro bowlers hall of famers lead their team to win super bowls have like this ultimate success so is there like one or two guys that you either feel confident in or you would say are most likely to be bust out of these so i guess ben i'll I'll start off with you here oh man um it's really tough. Honestly, my biggest unknown, the quarterback that I feel like I know the least and, and have no idea what his future really would be, is Trey Lance. I, I think that it's a huge gamble to put so much investment into this player. You like to think that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch know exactly what they're doing because they made such a bold move. But at the same time, this guy was playing a league below all the other guys. Uh, and, and while he was crushing... North Dakota wins all the time in that league, you know? So there's there's a laundry list of reasons to think, uh, you know, he might not be able to translate to the league. I mean, people even say, you know, he's, he's, one of, like, he's like not accurate enough and he has to grow a lot before he, he'll be ready to be that starting quarterback. That's not guaranteed. We could just have him sit and then end up being a waste right jimmy plays good enough that they never switch over and then what are we doing with this guy on our bench that would be a terrible situation to be in um so 
I don't know. That's that's kind of how I feel. But at, at the same time, he's in a really good situation. The 49ers are not a bad football team. To be drafted at number three to a team that's this loaded is a blessing for whatever quarterback that is. So I could go the opposite direction and say he doesn't even have to be the best quarterback to end up being the most successful. Um, so I don't know. I think he's the for me, he's one of the hardest to project his, his future uh, because it could be high ceiling, but also low floor. So when I look at these five quarterbacks, I'm gonna I'm just gonna rule out Trevor Lawrence because he's Trevor Lawrence and he's been projected as the number one guy for for a long time now. So I'm not even gonna include him, even though he's with Jacksonville. I'm not gonna include him. I think he'll be fine. Uh, Mac Jones and Trey Lance are both with teams that I would trust. Even uh, even if you're skeptical skeptical of the player, they're with teams that I would trust in their systems. So I'm, I think those two will also be fine. And then, uh, Justin Fields, even though, yeah, I don't like the bears at all. I do like Justin Fields a lot. And so I have plenty of faith in, in him. And I think even though I worry a little bit, I think he'll be fine as well. The one guy that I don't know much about, and I don't like the team he's on is Zach Wilson. I mean, who is the last? Who is the last good quarterback for the Jets? <laughs> is it Chad Pennington? Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, oh, oh, Sanchez. Ryan Fitzpatrick right. in twenty fifteen. Uh, no, not yeah. Mark Sanchez. Definitely not. Definitely not <laughs> Sanchez. Two AFC Championship games. Yeah, with yeah. All, all on defense. But yeah, they drafted Mark Sanchez in the top five. He did not pan out. They drafted Sam Darnold with the third overall pick a few years ago. He didn't pan out. How am I supposed to feel about Zach Wilson? And. He, I mean, Robert Sala, yeah, he's a good coach, but he's also a defensive first coach. So I don't – I'll admit, that's the one I'm the most uh, skeptical on. So I'll say if I have to pick one out of these five, I'll say Zach Wilson. So I, I definitely have a similar thought process to Brian. I mean, I think it's bold to say that Trevor Lawrence will be a bust, even in Jacksonville, just given everything that we've been told about him. Uh, I would say if I just had to look at the two quarterbacks, Lance and Jones, I think are the two biggest question marks. Lance, because I mean, he's literally a question mark. You know, Ben gave all the reasons why. And then Jones is the player who it's like, yeah, he was really great, but he was already on like an NFL caliber roster playing against college kids. So I think that both of those are guys that are kind of, you know, skeptical in terms of who they are, but I think they're both in great situations with Lance, San Francisco and Jones in New England. Uh, I agree with you in terms of Zach Wilson on the Jets because of them being the Jets. And I say the same thing about Justin Fields to the Bears because they're the Bears and because Fields fell to 11 for whatever reason. And it's possible that a lot of teams are wrong about him, but it's also possible that teams are right. So if I had to go with two, I would think that they're the most likely, not necessarily because of the quarterbacks themselves, but just because where they're going to. Which is so I think, and which I think is a huge Which is part why of, I kind of hate this know, because I'm a lot higher on Fields than Jones, but <laughs> Fields is with the Bears and. Jones is with the Patriots, and uh, so mm-hmm. I, I I can't I can't say Jones, even though he's been in college, he was in this offense that had two top ten, uh, literally top ten receivers. Uh, he's now also on a team that is very very well coached, even without Tom Brady. All right, so that'll wrap up the quarterback talk, and let's uh, let's talk about some of the other names in the top 10. So the first three picks are quarterbacks, and then number 11 was a quarterback. Four through 10, we had no quarterbacks, but we had a lot of similar positions, position types, starting with the Atlanta Falcons taking a tight end 
with the number four overall pick in Kyle Pitts. So what are your guys' thoughts on Atlanta using their you know, their premium draft stock on a player of that position? So part of me thinks that they should have gone quarterback here because I have very little faith in Matt Ryan at this point in his career. I think we've seen enough that he's just not an elite quarterback at all, even though he has an MVP season uh, back in 2017 or 2016. And... And he's got other good receivers, but I think it was probably the right move by taking Kyle Pitts, just given uh, how he's been talked up as this generational talent. And Julio has had his fair share of injuries, and who knows, he could be traded. And I think Kyle Pitts is going to help their offense a lot. So even though I don't love Matt Ryan, probably was the right move still to take Kyle Pitts. Uh, I think a lot of people like to say, oh, they should have traded back. Uh, you know, whenever you take a player that you might think uh, you could have gotten later or just potentially uh, what isn't going to fill all the needs that you have, which the Falcons definitely have needs. But that that assumes that there's someone who's offering you a trade, right? So you can't trade back if nobody wants to trade up. Um, I think Kyle Pitts is a very impressive specimen. I'm interested to see how he converts to the NFL, seeing as a lot of people said that he's not a very good blocker. Like, he's almost a wide receiver, like a tight end that may be a liability if you line him up on the uh, on the line. But... Uh, you know, if he's a great if he's a great tight end, then he's a great tight end. I just think the Falcons have a lot of problems, and making their offense a little bit better isn't going to make their defense stop being horrible. But it was a very top heavy offensive draft because, I mean, the first seven picks were all offensive guys. And another thing is, uh, their new coach Arthur Smith, he he runs a lot of two tight end sets in in his offense. So even though they have Hayden Hurst. Uh, lighting up a tight end, I think it helps even more that they have a tight end that's even better and is considered one of the best tight ends uh, ever in a draft class. I mean, I think he's the highest drafted tight end uh, ever. I mean, because I think there's TJ Hawkinson tight end that ever. was that yeah. previously had that at like number eight, but now he was drafted at four. Yeah, I think there are a lot of pros and cons to this pick. I mean, the pros, Kyle Pitts was a beast at Florida, and I think there's reasons to be excited about the guy. I mean, he he's someone who a lot of teams, they were talking about potentially trading up to get him. And he's certainly someone who can be like that next phenomenal tight end in Atlanta. They had Tony Gonzalez. They had Austin Hooper. And uh, now Pitts is someone who... You know, if he's worth being the number four overall pick, then that means he is a tight end like Tony Gonzalez, like Antonio Gates, like Rob Gronkowski, like one of the best ever. And if that's what the Falcons get, absolutely worth it. But if they go and trade Julio Jones in a couple months, then you can almost say maybe they should have gone to the receiver to replace Jones instead. And then, of course, you know, like Ben said, drafting a tight end might add to their offense but is not going to fix their defense so uh, I think that you give Matt Ryan another weapon here which is great but there's still a lot of questions about the Falcons moving forward and this is one where you know it's, it's impossible to judge Pitts but I without seeing him play but I think that's really what it's going to come down to is he going to be the greatest tight end ever or is he just going to be another guy and I think that's really what's going to come down to whether this was worth it or not did you guys hear what uh, Cameron Jordan said about uh, Pitts I did not. I, I'll read you the quote. He says, Pitts will be effective as long as he's detached from the line and not attached to the line because I'd have to detach him from his body. 
<laughs> and and again, I mean, okay. this is just me going off of YouTube analysts that I watch, but that yeah. was this repeated like negative or minus on his scouting reports that I always saw was he is not a very effective blocker. He's more built mm-hmm. to be on the outside on the perimeter, which yeah, that's great. Wide receivers are great. Uh, you know, we'd love to have wide receivers, um, but I guess it, it, I think it is going to come down to how he's used and and how dominant he can be as that kind of. Uh, mismatch in the receiving game and if that offsets any supposed liabilities in the blocking game yeah and I think that's a realistic thing to go against him because part of being a great tight end is not just the ability to catch passes but that also help in the blocking game so right that's why that's the uh, the curse of george kittle in fantasy where people are like well i I thought george kittle was an amazing tight end like how am i not winning is he not leading my fantasy team to victory is because he's like burying dudes in the run game and being a dominant tight end in more ways than just ways that are rewarded by fantasy points yep absolutely so uh, I guess, you know, going down the line right after Pitts, you had back-to-back wide receivers with the Bengals drafting Jamar Chase, the Dolphins drafting Jalen Waddell, and that let the Lions take Penny Sewell with the seventh overall pick, a guy who's supposed to be a generational left tackle. Like, there were thoughts about whether the Jets should take him at number two and keep Sam Darnold. So I guess, what are your thoughts on both of those teams, Cincinnati and Miami, passing on Sewell for I think receiver? for both of those teams... It's a bigger need for them to take a tackle than a receiver. If you look at the Bengals, they already have uh, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. Again, not great receivers, but decent receivers. And then when you look at the Dolphins, they they got Will Fuller and Devontae Parker. Again, not amazing receivers, but pretty good ones. Will Fuller was amazing last year. but I don't know if he'll repeat what he did last year, especially now that he's off the juice. But he, right. he's, he's, he, showed, he showed a lot of... Uh, a good promising play last year. Uh, so for those two teams, yeah, they both probably need more help at tackle than at receiver. But at the same time, I do get it because Jamar Chase played with Joe Burrow at LSU. He was his number one guy there. And then Jalen Waddle uh, with Tua as well, two Alabama guys. So I, I it, it makes sense. I, I get it. You want to appease the quarterback as well, uh, bring in uh their former teammates uh, in college. Is there any, do you guys know of any sort of historical precedent about college teammates between quarterbacks and wide receivers having some sort of edge on other uh, kind of duos or where you would say it's consistently better to have a wide receiver reunite with his quarterback than to just protect your quarterback? I haven't heard anything about that and I I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I I feel like that would have probably come up at some point just you know when when analyzing these two picks i mean we'll, we'll have to pay attention to that moving forward because that's definitely going to be the mark against them if if joe burrow gets uh you know torn apart and injured again people are definitely going to be disappointed when the backup is throwing the ball to jamar chase while they're losing 31 to 3 you know yeah, I mean, you could also say the same thing about Tua in Miami. He's a guy, his injury is in college, but it's that's a similar type of thing. I guess in terms of the Bengals, it was it's a pick where it's hard for me to say that I'm, I wanted them to go in a certain direction because as much as I could say, oh, I'd rather them pass on this franchise left tackle, the trade-off is Burrow gets a guy who helped him be the greatest college quarterback of all time in 2019. 
and Jamar Chase. And you know, on the flip side, you'd be like, okay, well, he doesn't have his receiver, but he has a guy who's going to be literally the greatest Cincinnati Bengal of all time in Penny Sewell if he's as good of a left tackle as people say he is. So uh, th- that's a tough one for me. I think the fact that the Bengals not only drafted Jonah Williams in the first round in 2019, but they also signed Riley Reef in free agency, you can kind of make the case that, okay, they looked to address the offensive tackle position for 2021 add in chase and uh you know hope that the the those two guys are good enough to protect burrow but i think with the dolphins it's a little less excusable going with jalen waddle as opposed to penny sewell uh just because i think that the dolphins offensive line situation is not as uh you know maybe maybe like they, hopeful in terms of those those guys that they, they have both the have questionable all lines for sure and but another thing though is two two is a lefty so would Sewell play mm-hmm. right tackle or they use the first round pick on Austin J- Jackson uh, Austin Jackson Austin yeah. Jackson last year yeah so I mean I, I think that realistically between the two I don't know I don't know if like I, I know there's a difference between left and right tackle um, so I guess maybe that's the logic is that they need to focus on more of a franchise right tackle than a left tackle so Sewell isn't as appealing but I mean I, I still think that's something you can make it work so I will say that I, I do think that the Lions uh, getting Sewell was was awesome for them. And that's like the kind of player that they should be adding to uh, to build to that roster, just given that they're so much further away from contention than a lot of teams picking ahead of them. You know how in every, yeah, well, you know how in every draft Mel Kuyper has biggest needs for each team? I, I, I think for the Lions, he should have just put the word everything uh, next to it. <laughs> Would you make the argument that even maybe drafting Justin Fields here would have been yeah. an upgrade on yeah. golf? Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've, I've only said... I know that a lot of Lions fans wanted Fields, but I, I I don't know. I think that they have so many issues that Fields is not going to fix Well, and, right and I, I think that Penny Sewell is the definition of letting the draft come to you. You're sitting mm-hmm. there, these like two teams that could have taken, you know, many teams maybe could have taken a generational talent like this, but now you don't have to give up anything and you get like a quote-unquote steal, and you're, it's not like you're one player away, so locking down one of the most premium positions on your football team for the next decade is a huge move and uh you know as long as he is as advertised the detroit lions get you know high marks for their first draft pick this year all right so now let's uh let's keep it going with picks eight and nine so the first seven picks were all offense at so the panthers at eight the broncos at nine both teams that could have gone quarterback, the the Panthers did trade for Sam Darnold, the Broncos did trade for Teddy Bridgewater, but there was uh, certainly a belief that maybe those teams weren't necessarily sold on those guys as being the long-term answer. But you know, both the teams ended up going with cornerback with J.C. Horn going to the Panthers and Patrick Sertan to the Broncos. So I guess how do you guys feel on Denver deciding to go with those top two corners there as opposed to you know, potentially drafting a quarterback? So for, for Carolina... I think it makes more sense because they need a lot of help at corner. And and I, I remember last week I talked about Sewell dropping to number eight to Carolina, but once he got taken at number seven uh, to Detroit, I was kind of wondering like what they were going to do there. And I, I kind of figured it would be J.C. Horn just because not only do they need a corner, but J.C. Horn is also a guy that's, I don't want to say from, from the area, but I mean, he went to South Carolina and Car- the Carolina Panthers are North Carolina. So he's kind of from the, 
near the area. So it, there were talks about him going to number eight, uh, J.C. Horn going to the Panthers. So that pick I wasn't too surprised. Uh, but for Denver, I, I'm i not a huge fan of that move, uh, taking a corner. Even though Patrick Sertan, I'm sure, is fine, but they have – they. They're good enough at corner, I feel like, with uh, Dar- Darby and Fuller. And so I-, I I think quarterback was a much bigger need for their team, especially since I think that's their biggest need. And so for Carolina, I, I get it. For Denver, no, nah, I-, I don't think that was a great move. Uh, I was happy to see JC be the, not just the first cornerback, but the first defensive player off the board. Very, uh, you know, hard work pays off. This kid had uh, a really amazing college career, especially towards the end. And um, I think Carolina's got a great player. Um, it's nice that also that he'll continue to have Carolina written on his jersey uh, going into his pro career. But, uh, you know, I think that's a great pick. Um, he's a Jalen Ramsey-type impactful defensive back, in my opinion. He has that uh, kind of potential and uh yeah, I think it's a great pick. And and I kind of and I definitely agree like with Denver, I'm not so sure. I guess they really don't like Justin Fields uh join the like the club, I guess of teams that don't want this guy. I thought that this was the perfect spot for them to get a good quarterback and not have to give up a whole lot of draft capital to do it. Uh so I I I think they're also going to be rooting for Justin Fields to be bad, otherwise this is going to look like a pretty uh big missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're all kind of on the same page. I guess Fields to Denver makes more sense to me than, uh, you know, Carolina taking quarterback. And one thing I'll say is I do think it could have made sense for the Panthers to trade down there, try to pick up more value, especially if a team was willing to move up for Fields. But it takes two to tango in a trade. and It's hard to say that a team should have trade down when you don't know what the the offers from others were. So, you know, the fact that a J.C. Horn, a South Carolina Gamecock being not only the first defensive player off the board, but, you know, going to the kind of local team is uh, is really cool. Although I will say that I was watching the draft with a big Panthers fan who went to South Carolina and he hated the pick because he wanted fields or he wanted to trade down, um, even though, he you know, they picked a guy from his school. I, I think that Horn is great. I had him as my number one corner in the class, so I, I do like them taking him over Sertain. And then certain to the Broncos. It's one where if he's a great corner, maybe you don't necessarily regret it all that much, but I, I can't help but feel like Justin Fields would have been perfect for the Broncos or, you know, even Mac Jones in that spot and just trying to get a guy who's going to be better than both Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. I think for Carolina, right. I mean, I don't, I don't like Sam Darnold. I think he stinks, but the, the Panthers are sold on him being the guy for the next year or two or, and so on. So it makes sense from that from that aspect. I just for the Broncos, you're really gonna go with Bridgewater and a Drew Locke as the and depend on them as the future guys. I don't love that plan. Yeah, I'm thinking in the in Carolina. I, I, I'm thinking there's a chance we'll see a Sam Ryan Tannehill Darnold kind of guy where suddenly it's like, wow, I'm free of Adam Gase and I can be a good quarterback. And, that, and that's why it makes sense uh, because, for for Carolina. Is that they, sure. believe, they believe mean, that Sam Darnold was his bad play was affected by more bad coaching? Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely a possibility with Darnold, and I think that's kind of why uh, I also don't necessarily think they should have splurged for a quarterback there. 
Right, but, so uh, I, but guess, I also yeah. think you got to, um, while we're saying that that team has faith in their quarterback, maybe we're sleeping on Teddy two gloves, and the Denver Broncos might feel like they got a lot of value with that trade, and they're willing to commit to letting uh, Bridgewater he was good. steer the ship. He was good in replace uh, of Breeze that year when he hurt his hand in that Saints-Rams game, and Bridgewater. Well, Bridgewater sucked in that game that he came into facing a, a tough Rams defense on the road, uh, coming in for Breeze in the middle of the game. But after that game, he looked very solid. So that could w- work as we'll, well. see. That or George Patton and John Elway think they're getting Aaron Rodgers in a couple months. So <laughs> that too. You know, either that Teddy too. or yeah. Teddy or Rodgers, <laughs> either one. You're right. Um, all right. So then, just like finally at ten. Dallas was set to take a cornerback. You know, I, I was saying how much I thought Horn made sense, even Sertain there. Both those guys go. They trade back. Philadelphia Eagles move up to number 10. How do you guys feel about Devontae Smith, the tiny 170-pound receiver, being a top 10 pick and going to the Eagles, a team who just picked a wide receiver last year in the first round? Well, f- well, first of all, I love that uh, an in-division rival – Traded with an in division rival to screw another in division rival uh, <laughs> by, by uh, the Cowboys trading with the Eagles to screw over the Giants because there were definitely talks of the Giants being interested in Devonte Smith. So I I just thought that was now uh, help me help me remember how the NFC East ended the season because wasn't there also a little interdivision collusion to screw over someone in the division? The, uh, when the yeah, Eagles there like, was, forfeited, oh, that's Nate right, Sudfeld. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, they, they, put, they put Nate, Nate Sudfeld, Sudfeld in, and because of that, the Giants, you know, they they lost to Washington, and the Giants did not make the playoffs. <laughs> so they were basically like everybody just wants to beat up on the Giants. Yeah. NFC East, everybody just like hates the Giants the most. Yeah, but no, I th- I think it makes sense for the Eagles for sure. They, I, I talked last week that they desperately need help at wide receiver given who uh who is on their roster right now with Rieger and Arcega Whiteside being very underwhelming and not having Jackson or Jeffrey and a Goddard I like a lot but Ertz is definitely declining as well and they, give, give all the traded this weekend you need you gotta give Jalen Hurts all the help uh, he can get especially being a a, a first-time starting quarterback next season, I'd imagine. Um, I just want to comment on what Corey was saying earlier, which is that, you know, Devonta Smith is this tiny wide receiver. Uh, he's so small, you know, that's what you couldn't possibly be taken first overall uh, as, as far as our first among wide receivers. Uh, I, I don't know how much I care about stuff like that. It's how you use them. Uh, obviously, you're not going to play Tyreek Hill the same way that you play Julio Jones, but they're out there playing football, not weightlifting. So I think that he can be, he could even be the best wide receiver in this draft, uh, just depending on how things go from here. So um, yeah, I mean, it's a, I think it's a great uh, addition for the for the Eagles. But I also want to point out what the uh, like how do you feel like this trade works out um, for the, uh, for Dallas? Like, how do you feel like they uh, took advantage of a situation for training back? No, I, I, I think so because they were absolutely looking for corner at number 10 and for, it was crazy that they didn't get horn nor Sertan. I was a little surprised that both of those guys were, I wasn't surprised that 
one was gone, but I was definitely surprised that both of them were gone, especially since both were available at eight. <laughs> so you just have to hope that not <laughs> they don't get taken with the eighth and ninth pick, and that's exactly what happened. So it made sense to <laughs> trade back and then and then get a linebacker, the best linebacker in the draft. I mean, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to talk more about the Cowboys and uh, Micah Parsons later in the show, but I guess... You know, for now, the one thing I'll say is the Eagles do not have a great track record when it comes to first round picks in at the wide receiver position. Uh, you know, more recently, Jalen Rieger last year wasn't great, but even a little further back, Nelson Aguilar, we saw how frustrating he was in Philly. And then, you know, he goes to the Raiders for one season and earns a massive payday from the Patriots. So that's really the, the biggest question mark I have with Smith. Um, but, you know, we talked about chase and waddle reuniting with former college quarterbacks once upon a time jalen hurts was a quarterback for alabama when Devonte smith was there so we do technically have a three for three connection with that wow all right so now let's uh let's move on kind of fast forward in the draft and just you know the last kind of talking point of the first round is a position that a lot of people do not think should be taken in the first round ever, no matter the circumstance, and that is running back. So in this draft, we had the Pittsburgh Steelers take Najee Harris with the 24th pick. The Jacksonville Jaguars take Travis Etienne with the 25th pick. So I guess just like, what are your thoughts in general on a running back in the first round? Is it something that never, ever should happen? Or do you believe that, you know, in the right circumstance, there's always an exception to the rule? So I mostly hate it, but... I would say you can also make an exception from time to time where if uh, Saquon Barkley is in the draft, I think it makes sense to him for him to be a first-round pick, even though running backs first round do not mesh well. And, and then in this draft, this must have been the one of the worst running back classes I've ever seen. So if you're going to take a good running back, it, it must be one of these two guys because after after ETN and Najee Harris, it's a pretty big drop off uh for whoever you're taking now running backs do come out of nowhere i mean so if you hit on one in the middle rounds and then uh hats off to you but in terms of the guys we know yeah it it's really harris etn and then who else do we really know after that so it kind of makes sense from that standpoint as well yeah i uh, i totally agree with everything brian just said i i think when it comes to uh, the draft you can have heuristics but I think hard rules are, are difficult to stick to because the draft isn't the exact same every year it's not like every year it's like oh you, there's so much talent that you can't offer ever possibly like at other positions that you can't ever uh, you know dream of taking a running back sometimes there's just not anybody else you want and you might as well take that running back uh, I mean the Chiefs took a running back at 32 the yeah, last the, year the Chiefs yeah. They took uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. What were their needs heading into that draft? I mean, was running back there actually their biggest need? <laughs> right. So, like, I mean, that draft? They, they definitely had some options that they could have gone, but, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's fair. Like, they were just adding Especially another guy. Especially since Damian Williams opted out that season, so they didn't actually need running back help going into mm-hmm. last season. Yeah, and it, to me, there's a huge difference between taking a running back in the top five and taking one in the late first round. I guess the way that I've always looked at it is that first round running backs are best when they're luxury picks, like Clyde Edwards-Elair was last season. But I, I think in the case of the Steelers, it's not as much of a luxury pick, but it was a legitimate need. 
the the Steelers needed to improve their running game. And like Brian said, you know, you didn't mention Javante Williams, who wound up going with the 35th pick, like early second round. But it was those three guys. It was you want to get one of those three guys in Harris, Etienne, and Williams to dynamically change your run game. And the fact that the Steelers could get the, you know, by all accounts, number one running back in the class in Najee Harris, I think was absolutely worth it for them. And I'm justified in that belief because the fact that all three of them went before the next offensive lineman went in the second round. So, you know, I think that, and the, and then from there, the next running back was taken Trey Sermon of the 49ers really late in the third round. So I think that it was pretty clear that there were three guys. And in this case, if a team really needed a dynamic running back like the Steelers, it made more sense to take them than reach on an offensive lineman and hope you strike gold on a running back later. Because it's easy to say you can get a running back later and there'll be amazing value. But there are so many running backs who get drafted in the second, third, fourth, fifth round that never amount to anything. So it's it's easier said than done. And then I guess in the case of the ETN... This is one where I like him as a first-round pick. I don't know if I love him to Jacksonville, given that James Robinson was an undrafted pick, and he was phenomenal as a rookie. I mean, I think it's to appease Trevor Lawrence, I'd imagine, since they both went to Clemson. But, yeah, having James Robinson out of nowhere last season, yeah, I don't don't love that pick either. I just just know the reason why they picked him. It's strictly just for Trevor Lawrence, I'd imagine, and... It it hurts James Robinson, so I mean that's gonna sting for him. Yeah, you're, Urban Meyer's a college dude, so he's just sticking to what he knows. He's like Clemson was good, right? Let's get more of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm sure that ETN will be successful there, and like you do have that Clemson pairing. This is another case. This is their second first round pick. It's not like he was their only first round pick, but uh, and, you know the Jaguars certainly have a lot of needs, and it's hard to say that a running back was high enough on the list to justify taking one in the first round. And you know when you already have a solid running back on your roster, because uh, you know very different than the Sealy situation where they've tried to get guys in the third, fourth round, and it just hasn't worked out like it has in other situations. All right, so I guess with that, let's um, let's kind of do a little bit of a, a superlative exercise here, and we're going to talk about our most intriguing picks on each day of the draft. So we're going to start with day one, which is just the first round. So Ben, do you want to kind of get us started here? Sure. Um, I don't know if this is exactly like <laughs> super entertaining. I feel like we've already talked about every single person I know about in this draft. So I'm going to be rehashing something. But I do think Trey Lance is the most intriguing pick. I think that was where the draft truly did start. And his future is so uncertain and has such a high potential, but also, like I said, is so uncertain that he not, might not make it, that it's it's really exciting. And I think Obviously, I care because I'm a Niners fan, but I think even just the average uh, NFL enthusiast can get excited about the like, the future of Trey Lance because he is such an unknown. Uh, so Ben asked me about the Cowboys-Eagles trade, and he asked, what do you think of the, the Cowboys moving down to 12? And I was about to go on... Uh, my analysis of Micah Parsons, but then I realized that, wait, this is my most intriguing <laughs> pick. So I better pause here and say, yeah, yeah, that was a good trade back because yeah, I think uh, that was one of the most intriguing picks of the first round, just given that they couldn't get Sertan or Horn. So of course 
They trade back and they get the best linebacker in the draft. And you know, Sean Lee retires, and then Leighton Vanderesh. He's had numerous injuries as well, and they didn't pick up his his option uh, for next season or the year after. And so it makes all the sense in the world to get a guy like Micah Parsons, especially since the Cowboys' defense last year really, really, really sucked. And if they couldn't get any of those top corners, how about get one of the top linebackers? Yeah, I, I really like the Parsons pick. I think it's a great choice here. I mean, I, I thought that corner made a ton of sense, but the Cowboys were 31st in run defense last year. So I think adding Parsons will certainly help that. So my gut reaction for most intriguing pick was Jalen Waddle, but that's someone we kind of already talked about where it's like he has a two connection, but the Dolphins pass on Penny Sewell for him. So what is that going to you know amount to in uh, you know three, five, ten years? So uh, for me, I'm just to talk about a player that we haven't discussed yet. It's Christian Dorisaw, who went 23rd overall to the Minnesota Vikings. So I actually read that the Vikings were ready to take Justin Fields with the 14th pick. Their division rival Bears jumped up in front of them, stole him, so they decided to trade back. And I, I was convinced at 14 that they were going to take Elijah Vera Tucker, offensive tackle slash guard from Southern Cal, but they decided to you know trade back with the Jets, who took him anyway, and then the Vikings were able to take Darisaw with the 23rd pick. So he's a guy who went later than uh, a lot of the mock drafts and experts were predicting, and I think a lot of that had to do with some injury concerns, which seemed to be a pretty common theme with a lot of players that you know, either went late in the first round or even dropped out of the first round. And I, I think I'm, I'm really interested to see what Darisaw can do with Minnesota because they, they did trade back and they get a guy who seems like a lot of value. And I... You know, I, I'm happy with the Harris pick to Pittsburgh, but you know, had the Vikings not taken Darisaw, I'm really interested to see if the Steelers would have gone with him instead because I think he would have been, um, you know, a, a great pick to help out the Steelers' offensive line. So that's going to be one that I'm looking at to see. Okay, you know how how upsetting is it that the Steelers miss out on Darisaw one pick before versus you know them getting Harris instead. Yeah, I think, uh, well, one of the things I heard from another analyst was that the Vikings would have been comfortable taking Darisaw at 14, uh, and they were still able to get him after trading back, and, and you love to be able to do that. Um, you know, it's just adding mm-hmm. extra value. So, I, yeah, I, that's that's a really great move in the first round by the Vikings. All right, so let's move on to day two. Ben, do you have any day two or day three picks? Not that, no, not that are most intriguing, no. Okay. Okay, that's fine. So, Brian, we can we can move on to you. All right, so for my most intriguing pick of day two was uh, Jeremiah Awasu uh, Koromoa, uh, who went 50th to the Cleveland Browns. And he was a guy who was at Notre Dame, uh, an edge guy at Notre Dame who uh, won the Buckus Award and was also uh, named ACC Defensive Player of the Year and was also a unanimous All-American as a senior in 2020. And I think that's really uh, a great value for the Browns, given that he was projected in a lot of mocks as a late first rounder. And then all of a sudden he drops all the way down to 50. And to Cleveland, a team that looks pretty pretty good uh, for next season, especially uh, on that side of the ball. So I, I, I like that pick a lot for Cleveland. 
Yeah, I mean, he he was one of several guys who was a first-round talent that injury concerns pushed him into the second round. I, I definitely think that the Browns had a really solid draft, and getting JOK was a, a big reason why. Um, so my, my intriguing day two pick is another guy who could have gone in the first round if not for injury concerns. And like Darisaw is a guy who maybe would have been interested in him ending up in Pittsburgh. I certainly saw him there in mock drafts, and that is Landon Dickerson, a center from Alabama, who I I believe is capable of playing anywhere on the interior. And he was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles with the 37th pick, I believe, 37 or 39. He went in the, the early second round, and the Eagles last season, their offensive line was decimated before the season even began. Brandon Books, I believe, tore his Achilles in like July. So they had to re-sign Jason Peters, bring him back for one more season with the intention of him playing guard. But then when training camp started, Andre Dillard, who was supposed to replace Peters at left tackle, also got injured, done for the year. So Peters ended up being their left tackle when they weren't even planning on bringing him back at all. So the Eagles are a team where they can certainly use some stability at offensive line. Jason Kelsey, their starting center, is getting older. It's probably only a matter of time before he's done. So if Dickerson can prove that his injuries are just a thing of the past, he got him out of the way in college, and he's ready to be healthy in the NFL, he could turn out to be a steal for the Eagles in the second round. But th- there's obviously a lot of questions with that, and this is a team that knows all too well you know, when really good offensive tackle offensive linemen get injured your season and your offense can kind of start to fall apart so to, that's why i really find this 37th intriguing. overall 37th okay and um so then i guess you want to move on to day three yeah. now all right so i got two guys for intriguing most intriguing picks uh, of day three and i thought these two guys i thought w- would be great fits on the packers because one of them is uh, was taken by the Washington football team, a long snapper named Cameron Cheeseman. And then the second guy that uh, I thought would make a great fit for the Green Bay Packers, who was taken in the fifth round by the Pittsburgh Steelers, named Isaiah Loudermilk. Cheese, milk. I, I, I thought those two would be great fits in, <laughs> in uh, Green Bay. But oh well. Loudermilk actually went to Wisconsin, so he he already had that that connection. I didn't even put two and two together with that. <laughs> um, I certainly hope that Loudermilk is intriguing for reasons other than his last name. But it's uh it, it, the Steelers they had a lot of solid names that they took on a uh, day three in the draft. Uh, my most intriguing day three selection is a guy who I thought the Steelers could potentially take. I know a lot of Steelers fans wanted him. He is a cornerback who entering the season was a first round close to a lock. He ends up going in the fifth round of the Baltimore Ravens. That is Sean Wade, cornerback from Ohio State. He is someone who excels in the slot. It's kind of a nickel corner, but he uh, he wound up playing on the outside, playing through injuries, and his draft stock took a tumble as he really struggled in 2020. And this is one of those ultimate boomer bust picks. The Ravens are either getting amazing value from a fifth round pick or 
he's just going to prove that uh, a lot of teams are right to pass on him for so long. And he's going to an organization that knows what they're doing when it comes to drafting cornerbacks. So I got to think that there's a better chance that Wade is going to work out for the better than for the worse. But as a Steelers fan, I'm certainly not hoping that they end up regretting passing on him and letting him go to a huge rival like that. Yeah, when it comes to the draft, I can definitely do my best for analysis in terms of the day one guys and a little bit day two. But when it comes to day three, I'm just going to pick uh, the coolest names. And I thought, yeah, Louder Milk, <laughs> there you go. Cheese Man, mm-hmm. those are pretty cool names. That, you know, that's that's a one, one way to go about it. Um, so I guess with that, let's move on to our biggest winners and losers of the draft. So I'll let, um, I'll let you guys go through some of your biggest winners that you have. Um, for me, I I definitely took less of a focus on trying to say, okay, I'm going to play draft grader role and, uh, come up with individual teams. I have a lot of responses here, so I'll kind of let you guys go first with your biggest winners and then I'll, I'll kind of step into my list. Yeah. Uh, so for my biggest winner, uh, in terms of teams, I really love what the chargers did in their draft and in the in day one and day two of the drafts i i really thought tackle left tackle protecting the blind side of herbert and corner were their two biggest needs and for their first round pick they got rashawn slater at number 13 and he was a guy who was projected around the top 10 or early teens range and so not only do they fit a need uh at 13 but they also in they probably got. I think they got good value uh, uh, where they got Rashawn Slater uh, at thirteen, and then for their second pick, again, I thought their next biggest need was corner. They got Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, in the second round, a guy who was projected in the late first round in a lot of mocks, and he drops all the way down to the second round. So they filled two of their biggest needs and, and at good values uh, in the first two rounds. Uh, for their roster and then the third round they got a wide receiver named Josh Palmer I'm not going to pretend to know how good he is but when I look at the Chargers roster their best receiver is Keenan Allen but their second best receiver is Austin Eckler who's not a receiver he's a running back so I I mean yeah they have Mike Williams but outside of that game where he exploded versus Kansas City where he had three touchdowns and a two-point conversion winner uh, outside of that he really hasn't done anything so I Adding a receiver definitely will help. And they also added a tight end in that same round named Trey McKitty. I don't know, again, how good he is, but they lost Hunter Hunter Henry uh, in free, free agency to the Patriots. So they certainly need to address that position, which they did. So I, I like a lot of the picks uh, the Chargers made in that draft. So in just the interest of saying something new, I'll say I'll say one of the winners. I don't know if this is the biggest winner. I think it's tough to – I think there's some obvious big winners. Like I think if you got a quarterback in this draft, you're probably pretty happy uh, in the top five picks. But um, I actually think that the uh, – despite being uh, teamed up or ganged up upon by their division rivals, I think the Giants actually did pretty good uh, in what they did with their trade back in round one. Um, if the Devonta Smith really was the guy that they wanted – uh, they were able to pull off a quick trade and go back uh, to the 20th pick and pick up a guy, Kadarius Tony, who I hadn't heard a lot before about before the draft. But I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bangle. He's a uh, content creator. He does a lot of football content on YouTube. He's a Giants fan. No. 
to his own detriment, and he was really stoked on this pick despite it being somewhat unexpected. And um, and at the same time, the Giants pick up an extra pick in the first round for next year. So um, this is a prove-it year for Daniel Jones, I think, to say the least. Uh, giving him a slot guy who can be another weapon for Danny Dimes uh, when you need him most, uh, and also picking up another first-round pick, I think, is a really good move from the Giants in the first round. If I had to throw out one team, I guess, as my biggest winner, I kind of agree with your sentiment, Ben, is it's hard to pick one team, especially before we see how any of you guys even do on the field. But uh, the one team that I'm, I'm most intrigued by is the Minnesota Vikings. And I talked about Darisaw, their first round pick. They didn't have a second round pick, but they took Kellen Mond early in the third round. Uh my overall view on quarterbacks who go in the second, third round is that you're not a first round pick for a reason, but Mond is kind of like a high upside guy and could potentially be the, the successor to um, Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. Do you think he'd be someone like Dak Prescott? Well, that's that's the thing is he could be Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson, or he could be like almost any other third round quarterback who gets taken and they're nothing CJ more than just like a, a career backup. <laughs> yeah mr mr Beathard, like, you know a guy like that <laughs> so uh but they had two other third round picks which i think makes it like even more reasonable for them to take mon there uh chas surratt linebacker north carolina he was someone who was originally recruited to the tar heels to play quarterback after red shirting his freshman year which was mitchell trubisky's last season there he um he had some opportunities to play in 2017 he was the best quarterback on a really bad north carolina team did not become the starter in 2018 by the time sam howell showed up in 2019 his opportunities to start at quarterback were effectively over instead of transferring to another school for the chance to play quarterback he decided he wanted to honor his commitment to north carolina do what he could to help the team and transition to linebacker and all he did was go on to be a two-time all acc selection in 2019 and 2020 uh, I think it's a really cool story, and I think he's someone who could be really solid for that Minnesota Vikings defense. Uh, Wyatt Davis, another guy they got in the third round. He was a, a guard from Ohio State who at one point in time could have been a first-round pick, uh, and I think he's someone who can certainly provide value. Third-round on offensive linemen are definitely guys who can who can come in and potentially even start right away, but certainly be solid contributors quickly. And then uh, another third-round pick, Patrick Jones, defensive end for Pitt. He was a, a really solid player for them this season, racked up a ton of sacks. He wound up winning the prestigious Panther Award from the school. So um, I, I've heard a little bit about him, just given that I follow some Pittsburgh sports writers. So that, that's another one that really intrigues me. And I'm not even going to pretend like I know anything about their day four through seven picks, but I think that getting those four guys in days one and two is enough to say that they're a, a solid winner. Um, so I guess outside of that, I do have some other big winners that maybe aren't teams that I'll throw out and if you guys want to, you know, bounce back thoughts on them. So uh, one guy, which Brian kind of talked about his team, I'm going to focus on a defensive coordinator and that is Dan Quinn, who is hired by the Dallas Cowboys after a very tumultuous run as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. And right off the bat, he's already going to be a winner for the in the eyes of Cowboys fans replacing Mike Nolan, but he's someone who I think got a lot of help in this draft, getting Micah Parsons in the first round. And I know he missed out on one of those top two corners in JC Horn and Patrick Tertain, 
But the Cowboys took corners in Calvin Joseph in the second round, Nosh on right in the third round, and Horn's teammate at South Carolina, Israel Mukuwamu, in the sixth round. Uh, the Cowboys got two other defensive linemen in the third round, as well as Jabril Cox, a linebacker safety hybrid in the fourth round. I think that Dan Quinn got a ton of weapons that he can use and uh, you know do whatever he needs to do to make the Cowboys defense more successful than it was in 2020. I don't know if 2021, like it'll be too soon for some of these guys, but come 2022, 2023, I have high expectations for Dallas's defense. Yeah, so I said earlier that Mel Kuyper's draft needs for the Lions is everything for the Cowboys. Just write the word defense. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, they, they did that. They they got they certainly got a lot of guys. Um, and there's there's plenty of reason for Cowboys fans to be excited about the potential upgrades they're making on that side of the ball. Uh, another big winner is Chicago Bears fans. I don't know if Justin Fields is going to be the franchise difference maker, but at least for now, Bears fans can be excited to think that they have their quarterback of the the present and the future, the guy who's finally going to save that franchise and make them relevant. So we'll see how everything plays out. We talked about Fields early in the show, but Bears fans are absolutely huge winners. Uh, I'll throw out another winner. I'll go with uh, small wide receivers because I think the the biggest receiver drafted in the first round was Rashad Bateman at six foot two, and I think the rest of the the receivers in that first round were guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, guys who were either small in weight or small in in height. So uh, small, smaller receivers. I mean, I, I don't think any of those first round receivers are built like Megatron or Julio Jones. So yeah, that's I mean, a win. That's, new, it's a, that's a win for small receivers. Yeah. Um, so another big winner, I think my biggest winner in terms of player has to be Peyton Turner, who the Saints drafted 28th overall. He was a guy who was maybe considered day two ceiling. He was likely a day three or day four guy as a first round pick. His four year guaranteed contract is going to pay him out twelve and a half million dollars. Had he gone later in the draft, he'd be looking at, you know, five, six million or even less than that. So financially, Turner is the biggest winner in terms of being overdrafted. And then my last big winner is Daryl DMC McDaniels from Run DMC. He announced the Steelers' third-round pick. And uh, before he did that, he did kind of his common at the uh, NBA All-Star game best impression by saying, take a look at the stage. Y'all know what this is. This has been my team since I was a kid. My name is DMC. I'm the king of the rock. And on the football field, we won't be stopped. The king of the rock and there is none realer and there is nothing better than being a Pittsburgh Steeler. The entire time getting booed by the Cleveland crowd. I thought that was <laughs> awesome. I didn't really see too many. I guess I didn't watch too many of the uh, the the like special picks because you know, I, I just didn't hear a whole lot of them, but that was one that definitely intrigued me. And when I saw the Steelers Twitter account you know, tweeted out after, I was like, okay, that was really sweet. So DMC is uh, my, my last big winner of the draft. Nine winners. No one goes home a No, seven uh, winners. No, no oh, one goes six, home a loser. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I certainly have some big losers, and I'll let you guys start off with your biggest losers. Okay, well, I think... This isn't necessarily a result of the draft itself, but it definitely overshadowed the entire draft. The, my biggest loser is the Packers franchise. 
having uh, you know re- reaping or uh, what is yeah reaping what they've sown by disrespecting their franchise quarterback and then having him be extra vengeful and announcing that he's not returning to the team on the day of the draft. Uh, talk about drama. And, uh, you know, it's still up in the air. You know, people still have high hopes that they'll be able to patch things up with Aaron Rodgers. But I don't know if you start this kind of drama with the intention of uh, coming back to the team with your tail tucked between your legs. I I think this is bad news for the Packers. All right. So I got uh, uh, definitely a a few guys on my list for losers or teams wait wait, wait hold uh, on you so guys don't want to discuss I, I mean I, I do want to react yeah no i i think that's <laughs> oh, that's totally fair i mean last year i'm surprised we've gotten this hating... far without talking about it because yeah no I, I think we have to, to leave yes that would redefine the entire packers i mean unless Absolutely. listen listen uh, i know that there's a lot of people in the fra- packers organization that were l- licking their chops when they saw jordan love fall to them in the draft and they said who needs this rod guy what has he done for us lately it's it's the jordan love era uh but i i don't have that much faith and i think in jordan love and i think that if packer if packers if rogers were to leave right now then the packers would be an instant rebuild oh they absolutely would be and they they have to be big losers i mean the timing of this right before the draft is it certainly doesn't help and i know that the packers are going to stick to their guns and say that we can't envision not having rogers on this team but they can't force him to play all he has to do is say hey i'm gonna go host jeopardy and i don't need football for this season and then he can figure it out a year from now so uh, I, I absolutely think that the Packers have to be considered big losers out of this because it's like you said, it's hard to envision him just all of a sudden doing a 180 and that the team is all of a sudden going to because apparently they offered him a contract extension and he turned it down. That's that's part of the reports. So, yeah, there's a part of me that wants to say that the Packers should do whatever it takes to make Rogers happy. But at the same time, I mean, yeah, Rogers does so much for them in the regular season, but. Four out of seven NFC Championship games they've lost, and I, I don't want <laughs> I don't want to singularly blame Rodgers, but I mean, look at that last NFC, NFC Championship game. They their last three possessions in the fourth quarter, they didn't get a touchdown out of any of them, and uh, Rodgers had plenty of uh, he had plenty of room on that third down play uh, to yeah. run for a touchdown, and he didn't. And I don't know. No, I think <laughs> I don't want. I, there's a there's there's definitely a combination of uh, a a blame pie chart where yeah, some of it has to do with their, their bad drafting, but I feel like Rogers should get a little bit more blame than he does uh, from media. That's so fair. That is such a um, reasonable take because like while they should have gone for it on fourth down or whatever, Aaron Rodgers still is like totally f- like taking no responsibility for the position that the Packers are in. Like he's at the point where he's like, "Yeah, it's not my fault. We would have won if we had just done it my way." You know, I'm just gonna I'm willing to just burn the franchise down and, and burn all every bridge uh, because I feel slighted. But you could make the argument they wouldn't have to go on fourth down if Aaron Rodgers had done better on previous downs, right? So. I think it's. I think you're totally justified to say that Rodgers deserves some more uh, blame and shouldn't just be vindicated in being a bad person to his franchise. 
I'm glad someone agrees with me on that. I, <laughs> I, it, it feels wrong to say that because I feel like the biggest Rodgers supporters would just kill me for saying well, something no, like that. Well, no, but people look at what at Rodgers as kind of just like he's per- well, not perfect, but he's such he's so good at football he should be able to do whatever he wants. But look at the way that he went about this at the end of last season. If he said, you know what, I'm done with the Packers. Um, you know they've done a lot for me, but I think it's time for me to move on and left amicably a little bit more like Brady did, then I think we could have a different discussion. But no, he waited until the worst moment for the Packers, literally draft day, to, to come out with all this drama. He's being vengeful. He's being petty. And those aren't good qualities. No, no I mean, I, I think it's totally fair to blame Rodgers for the way he handled this and he certainly does deserve some of the blame for the lack of success but I I absolutely understand him being frustrated with what the organization has provided him over the last decade because there's a a lot of the shortcomings can be blamed on things that are outside of his control I feel like it was a troll job to not only take a corner in the first round another defensive player in the first round but then in the third round they take Amari Rodgers so they're geared they're letting people know that there will be an A Rodgers on the team next year, whether <laughs> Aaron Rodgers comes back or not. The fans are like, yeah, it's totally fine now. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, Brian, who's your biggest loser or losers? All right, so, yeah, um, yeah, I definitely have a list of teams uh, on my list for biggest losers. Uh, so I'll start off with the Broncos. And just I don't want to talk about their overall job. I just want to talk about how like I said earlier, their 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 first round pick, I feel like quarterback was a bigger need than corner uh back in the in this draft. So they get they're on my loser list. Another team, Ben actually said them as a winner. I actually didn't like their first round pick. Again, I'm not gonna talk about the rest of the draft, but I didn't love the reaching at for Kadarius Tony uh from where they were. I mean, look at their offense. They signed Kenny Galladay to a big contract. They have Saquon coming back. Uh, they have Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram as well. So Kadarius Tony, a first-round pick, he'd be their fifth target. And I just think that they had bigger needs on, on the rest of their roster, especially O-line. I know they took Andrew Thomas last year fourth overall, but outside of him, I don't love how their O-line looks. So I would, I didn't love their first-round pick uh, in, in this draft. And then uh, speaking of teams who have uh, shaky QB, uh, shaky at the quarterback position, the Texans are massive losers for sure. Because not only, I mean, I feel so bad for Casario and everyone in the GM room right now, but not only do they not have a first round pick, they don't have a second round pick. And then when when it's finally their turn to draft, they're like, well, shit, we got to get a quarterback because we don't know if Deshaun Watson's even going to play this year or ever again, given his thing right now so they have to take davis mills uh with their third round pick and then it's just their first three picks three rounds they didn't have two first two rounds and they had to take a quarterback so but they did have another third round pick but either way it's just it's a mess there and i wouldn't be surprised if they have the number one pick next year uh and then for my last loser this is not a this is not a team or a person it's a thing and that's uh, Roger Goodell's chair. <laughs> if you notice during the draft, yeah. there was a, a fan sitting on Roger Goodell's couch uh, for every single pick. And uh, just 
I, I would not want that chair back. I'm selling that thing. I'm I'm donating that thing to charity. There's no way that thing comes back to my house if I'm Roger Goodell. Like I'd imagine that chair is somewhere else that's not his house. It just person after person sitting on that thing. You know, a few people had to let one rip uh, on that couch. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, that, I I don't understand why <laughs> he felt the need to to bring the chair back out after last year. Like. People were making fun of him the entire draft. Like, in Friday night, like, at the end of the night, when he was, like, slumped over, like, trying to read the cards, or people were like, I don't know what drugs he's on right now, but this is a, this is not a flattering scene for him. I, I don't understand why he felt the need to bring it back out. Um, I will say I, I also have the Giants as a biggest loser, but not necessarily because I think their whole draft was a loss and they had the worst draft. Um, I, I think it's kind of silly to say that. Just, I think it's silly to talk about a big winner, um, you know, just based on guys that are selected and big loser is even worse because you're just ended up by saying that the 2012 Seahawks are an F and they had the worst draft ever. Uh, but my reason for the Giants being a big loser is really kind of what we already hit on earlier. But the fact that, not only did they go into the draft hoping for a wide receiver ready to take Don- Devontae Smith at 11 and a team traded up right before them, but the fact that the team had traded up right before them is a division rival in the Philadelphia Eagles and that they traded up with another division rival in the Dallas Cowboys, I think that's just uh, you know so frustrating if you're, you're the New York Giants and a fan of the Giants, just you know seeing the rest of the division gang up on you like that. Now, they, I do like them picking up the Bears' first-round pick. I, I don't know much about Kadarius Toney. I knew he was a first-round protection. I don't think that it's a terrible pick, but just the, the fact that they you know, had their hearts set on Smith and they had two division rivals team up to make sure it didn't happen makes them big losers. Um, another big loser is Rashad Weaver. He was a fourth-round pick for the Tennessee Titans, and uh, he's just been charged with assaulting a woman. So... Yeah, his uh his NFL career is already in jeopardy and he hasn't even signed his first contract. So yeah, nice nice job guy. And he's uh, in uh mid season form. I mean, this yeah. is not really that uncommon for <laughs> NFL players. No, not at all. Not at all. Especially to happen to the Titans, the team that already had lost their first round pick and Isaiah Wilson uh after he played like what one game with them if that like it's like four snaps yeah it's uh not not a great look for for the titans and their their drafting um my next big loser is michael carter so which michael carter am i talking about well does it matter because the jets took two michael carters running back running back michael carter he gets taken he's like all right i'm excited i'm on the jets and the next thing he knows they're taking another guy named michael carter so now i get one of them is a running back one of them is a safety so in theory you should be able to tell the difference between the two but say michael carter the running back fumbles jets twitter is going to be coming after michael carter the safety or if michael carter the safety gives him a big play michael carter the running back is going to get a bunch of ricochet shots a lot of confusion all of a sudden one of them is going to have to go by mike now or they have to go by their middle name because they can't both be michael carter on the same team i would never do that personally like if i was the jets drafting like as soon as i take michael carter the running back michael carter the safety goes off my draft board can't have two guys with the exact same name on the same team and look they they don't have any individuality and like how can you really be all excited if you're either of those guys knowing you're on the same team listen listen I, I think you lean into it uh, with the New Jersey rules. You not New Jersey, like the state where the Jets are located, but the Jersey new rules that are now in the league that, that the rule change that just happened that makes it new. 
you make them be very similar numbers that are not traditionally numbers for either of them. So put them both in the teens, make one of them 17, the other one 18 or something like that. And then Tom <laughs> Brady plays against your team and he's trying to call out. He's like, wait a second. Is that running back Michael Carter getting ready to blitz me right now? And it'll totally scramble his ancient brain and, and the Jets can finally beat <laughs> Tom Brady. Uh, so I think that's that's actually a very tricky thing that they're doing uh, to confuse the their opponents. You know, maybe they'll they'll find a way to make it work, but I don't have a ton of confidence in the Jets making Zach Wilson work. So it's hard for me to have confidence in making two Michael Carters work. <laughs> Did Woj uh, put out a tweet saying Michael Carter Williams has been traded to the New York Jets? <laughs> no, <chance>? well. <laughs> You know, it's you might as well keep piling on with all the Michael Carters. And I, I will say that I do love that the running back went to North Carolina and the safety went to Duke. So you like have the the Michael Carter rivalry also has an actual collegiate rivalry to it. Uh, my next big loser is Chaz Surratt's dog. So he's Chaz Surratt. That was the guy that I was talking about. The Vikings took him in the third round. And when the TV showed him in his living room celebrating, his dog, or whatever dog in the room, I don't know if it was his dog, his family's dog, whatever, just starts barking, going crazy, and no one cares about the dog. They're not petting the dog. They're all celebrating with Chaz. So the dog's just running around frantically, waiting for someone to pet him. Takes 20 seconds before like Chaz's brother or so just pats it, the dog on the head, uh, and you can't watch the video and not just focus on the dog and be like, I'm ready for this dog to get pet. And you know, for probably the first time in his life, he wasn't the center of attention. So got to got to feel bad for for Chaz's dog there. And then my last biggest loser of the draft is Tim Tebow. And Tim Tebow, there's this breaking news about him that he is going to try out for the Jacksonville Jaguars to play tight end. All of a sudden, everyone in the NFL is talking about Tim Tebow. He is relevant in football for the first time in, I don't know, six years. And that lasted for maybe about an hour before Adam Schefter says Aaron Rodgers is telling Green Bay Packers teammates that he wants out. And yeah, Tebow who? We're talking about Rodgers now. So Tebow had his, his one hour in the limelight before all of a sudden he's old news again. And then the draft starts and nobody's talking about Tebow anymore. So I don't even know if he got uh, signed by the Jaguars. And at, at this point, I, I don't know if it matters because there's just so much other news that quickly became bigger than Tebow making a comeback. Yeah, maybe 10 years ago, this would have been a really a cool thing to do. But now it just seems, I don't know. Like way too uh, late. I, I'll admit, I, I just want him to go away. <laughs> 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 Not to sound like a dick, but yeah, please, just please go away. Maybe do college football analysis, but other than that, just stop. <laughs> stop playing football, stop playing baseball, just. Just go away. <laughs> They're definitely going to sign him. I like Tim like, Tebow. I, I, I know Urban Meyer likes him. Um, I think it could be a fun, like it could be a Gronkowski unretiring level like signing where, uh, you know, he could be surprisingly effective in limited doses or something, um, which I think I would enjoy. But especially because uh, with the new numbers, he could still be uh, number 15, 15, even if he's tight yeah. end. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I can't see him actually making the roster. I feel like they're gonna give him the opportunity just because it's Urban Meyer and he's gonna, you know, he loves Tim Tebow. But when it well, when who it's do all they have in tight end down in Jacksonville? I mean, that is a great question. I 
I, I can't think what of anyone. What if Trevor Lawrence, who grew up a huge Tebow head, uh, decides he really wants him on the roster? What Will Urban Meyer cut Trevor Lawrence and Tebow? <laughs> I mean, that might be the only way it happens. <laughs> is, Ty- is Tyler Eifert still there? Oh, yeah. They, they probably do have Tyler Eifert. I, He's going to get injured. Yeah. So they, they need Tebow. <laughs> they need, Tebow's coming to save the season. Yeah. All right, let's uh let's get ready to wrap up the draft talks just real quickly with our thoughts on the 49ers Patriots Steelers overall. Ben, if you want to give a couple quick thoughts on 49ers. Yeah, um I think that this draft hinges entirely on Trey Lance. If the prospect doesn't end up living up to expectations, this will set the 49ers back for years. Uh, but I think that the only trade up if you feel really strongly about your guy I trust Shanahan, and we'll have to see what he does. Luckily, Trey doesn't have to step into a starting role right away. But if you're a 49ers fan, you're hoping he does uh, at least get in there pretty soon because, again, the the sky is supposedly the limit with this guy. Second round, they draft Aaron Banks out of Notre Dame, supposedly strong and agile guard. The weakest position on the 49ers offensive line is right guard. Hopefully, Aaron Banks can step right in there. Trey Sermon in the third round out of Ohio State. I've heard a lot of good things about him. He was very productive in college, and the 49ers have running back by committee. So adding another you know set of fresh legs to the committee uh, can only be good for the uh, run game. And uh, Ambry Thomas out of Michigan, also in the third round. It's a position of need for the 49ers. I don't know enough about this guy to say anything certain, but uh, addressing the needs. No wide receivers for the first time since the early 2000s for the 49ers. What this means is coaches must feel good about Jalen Hurd and Trent Taylor, the often injured uh, wide receivers for these 49ers. they're both guys you would see playing out of the slot, uh, and I think that's what the indication is here. Otherwise, the 49ers may be in trouble with pass catchers, a very top-heavy wide rec- or receiving core for the 49ers. And, uh, and yeah, but overall, all that stuff is insignificant compared to Trey Lance. This draft is Trey Lance, and potentially the next two years are also going to be defined by the production we get out of Trey Lance. All right, so it's kind of the same thing with the first round uh, as Ben. Uh, a lot of the draft success depends on how well Mac Jones does, and uh, and we'll see how he does. I'd imagine he'll start at some point in the 2021 season, whether that's a week one or in the middle of the season. Uh, hopefully that pans out. My favorite pick uh, was their second-round pick in Christian Barmore, just coincidentally, just because I actually mentioned him. Uh, last week as a first round pick, but he had to, ends up dropping all the way to the early second round. And it's clear that they were targeting him because they traded up to get him. They traded their 46th overall pick uh, and then two other fourth round picks. So I don't know if they were targeting Mac Jones from the start, but they were definitely targeting uh, Christian Barmore uh, from the start. So I like that pick a lot. Uh, they got a guy named Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma thir- in the third round. He was a guy that was projected as a uh, late second rounder, and they got him in the late third round, and he's another edge guy, so I'm, I'd imagine that will help. Uh, my least favorite pick of the draft for the Patriots was their fourth round pick in Ramondre Stevenson, and the only reason why is just because he looks just like LeGarrette Blunt. And I am not. I was not a huge Legarrette Blunt fan. And they have like seven running backs in their team. Do they really need another running back? 
Uh, you said so, about Damian Harris. Yeah, they have Damian so. Harris, James White, Sony Michelle, who was a first round pick that did not pan out at running back. So that's a reason to not like for, right, first round running backs. But this guy was taking the fourth round, so it doesn't matter here. Uh, and yeah, I, I just didn't like. I just was not a fan of Legarrette Blunt, or I was lower on him than others. Uh, I was definitely not. Just his that personality. High on... No, just. He was so overrated here. I was not that high on Blunt, no pun intended. <laughs> but uh, just, I thought he was super overrated here. Uh, so, just a guy who looks just like him. Uh, their fifth round pick, they got a guy named Cameron McGrone. I don't know anything about him, but I remember mentioning Quiddy Pay last week, Michigan linebacker or Michigan edge guy. And he's, and Cameron McGrone is a Michigan uh, uh, front, front seven guy. So, it's kind of a coincidence. I'll, I guess I'll take it. They could use all the help there. And then sixth round, they took a guy named Josh Joshua Bledsoe, a safety. I don't know anything about him, but his last name is Bledsoe. This, so that must mean something for, for the Patriots, given that they used to have Drew Bledsoe. Uh, so we'll see there, especially since uh, for the safety, uh, Devin McCourty, I imagine he'll retire soon. So uh, I'd imagine he'll provide some help at safety. And then, then they got a guy named... William Sherman for the O-line, know nothing about him. And their last pick, Trey Nixon, was a wide receiver at UCF. What was neat about this pick was that uh, this pick was made by a guy named Erdy Adams, a guy who has been uh, Belichick's right-hand man uh, for for all these years uh, he's been in, uh, in football. And he's now retiring. And there's a video on the Patriots Swear that shows up. Uh, Hey Ernie, would you like to make the last pick of your life? Uh, and then he gave him the pick, and so I thought that was neat. It was it was kind of cool that he just let him make the pick and gave the thumbs up and took him. Yeah, hey, I mean, very deserving for the architects behind those uh, first three Super Bowls. Couldn't have done it without his video camera. Nope, right? <laughs> That's correct. Yep. <laughs> um. So for the Steelers draft, uh, you know, I I think that. You guys both talked about like the quarterback in the first round, and that's going to be a, a big defining move of the, the drafts. I think that the Steelers, it's kind of fair to say that with Najee Harris, but at the same time, I think the first three picks is really what it's going to come down to because obviously the Steelers need to improve their run game, and part of that is improving the offensive line. They drafted Najee Harris in the first round. They took a tight end in Pat Fryermuth in the second round, and they waited until the third round before taking a center in Kendrick Green. So if all three of those guys, which by all accounts, they can certainly come in and be started right away, if all three of those guys prove to be you know, kind of the, the best at their position and that the Steelers didn't pass up better guys earlier, then this draft will ultimately prove to be an excellent one. So I'm, I'm very happy with the way that things turned out. Um, Fryermuth is a guy who I've heard comparisons to Hunter Henry and to Jason Witten. So if that's what the Steelers got with their second round pick, you can uh, be very okay with it. Kendrick Green is a guy who I guess reminds them of Marquise Pouncey. Pouncey might be a Hall of Famer. So the Steelers need to replace him. I read that if he can, if he's not the team's starting center by week five, then something went horribly wrong. So I'm certainly optimistic about him. Outside of that, I don't really know what to expect about the uh, some of the day three guys. Dan Moore, 
and Buddy Johnson, both from Texas A&M. Moore is a guy who I think is a solid depth piece at offensive tackle. Buddy Johnson, they're replacing Bud Dupree with a, another Buddy on the roster. And uh, I did read that Quincy Roche, who is a sixth-round pick, pass rusher out of Miami, is someone who might actually be a Bud Dupree replacement. So that is certainly high praise for a sixth round pick, but it it would be kind of cool if he ends up being something useful. Uh, The pick that I like the least is probably Isaiah Loudermilk, the guy that (laughs) Brian talked about. Not necessarily, you know, great name, but the Steelers (laughs) traded next year's fourth round to get him in the fifth round. So I I don't know if I love uh, giving out that kind of value, but I hope he turns out to be worth it. Um, And the, the seventh round pick, the, 254 out of 259 the Steelers decided to take Georgia Tech punter Presley Harvin the third so well, that's their next best pick yeah well <laughs> in, they on day three they uh oh, giant they punter. love him he's huge so I mean it's kind of exciting to see him uh you know I, I hope it works out I hope they're justified in drafting a punter instead of hoping to just sign him on the free agent market um but I mean I guess it picked 254 in the seventh round it's hard to say that you shouldn't have gone with the punter or you know it's gone with a yeah, different and when, yeah, when you're that late in the draft just yep if, if you want him just take him yep so all right that will uh that will finally wrap up the NFL draft coverage and with that let's wrap up the show with our top five. So, Ben, you are our guest today. Uh, for those, I guess, who don't know, I feel like you know most longtime listeners probably do, you are Mexican-American. Uh, so this Wednesday is May 5th, or Cinco de Mayo. It is not necessarily Mexican Independence Day, which is celebrated September 16th, but it is a, a day that's commemorated in Mexico's history as a successful battle victory. So we're going to, you know, honor that culture and honor a day that I know a lot of Americans love by counting down our favorite Mexican things in this week's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. So Ben, why don't you get us started with your number five? Okay, and I'm going to get us started with one of my favorite uh, popular culture Mexican fictional characters, and that's... Bender Bending Rodriguez from the uh, animated comedy uh, Futurama. So you might not know this unless you've actually watched a lot of Futurama, but Bender was built in the year 2996 in Tijuana, Mexico uh, by Mom's Robot Company. And uh, that actually means that he it says Echo in Mexico um, on Bender. And he is very much, in fact, Mexican in origin. Uh, so he's very uh, iconic character, very hilarious character. The uh, He's got f- plenty of quotes and uh, famous catchphrases. And uh, he's one. It, it's one of my favorite TV shows. So Bender Bending Rodriguez comes in at my number five. I want to throw in an honorable mention for Rick Sanchez, another unexpected Hispanic character. Uh, cartoon character from uh you know adult cartoons although rick sanchez is only confirmed to be hispanic not specifically from any hispanic country that uh they they, they've never it's not canon that he's mexican which is why he doesn't make it into the list just an honorable mention but another good hispanic representation in pop culture Okay, I was gonna say I, I didn't know that they that Rick was actually Mexican, um, and I I didn't know that Bender was either. So that's that's a fun fact about him. Yeah. All right. So for my number five, this is kind of a two and one, but I went with Selena, 
uh, the musician, but the reason why I put her as number five is because I actually enjoyed the movie a lot. Uh, Celine, Corey, did you take Spanish in high school? I did, but we didn't watch. Okay, because I saw this movie several times in Spanish class from dating back to middle school, and then several, uh, pretty much every year in high school, Spanish one, two, and three for me, and. Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed the movie a lot and learned about her upbringing with her siblings as well and how they got into music. And even though she was born in America, she's celebrated as one of the most celebrated Mexican-American entertainers. And I, I I thought the movie was very entertaining. And and that's why I have as number five. Yeah, I've heard a lot more about selena than like you know actually actually know stuff or anything in terms of her music and the, the yeah movie, i'll but admit like i don't really know her music at yeah. all really at all but it, the it's movie an interesting is, story the, um, the 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 movie is has a very yeah like you said a very interesting story and you learn a lot from it yeah i'm surprised that you watched it so much and i never I, watched I, it i was forced to watch it like four or five times but uh-huh. but i actually but i did enjoy it at least okay um, you know, maybe maybe that'll be something else to check out one of these days. Maybe I'll, I'll retake Spanish class and uh, <laughs> I'll watch it then. Uh, so my number five is tequila. And tequila is definitely not my favorite liquor, but I think it's my favorite to take shots with. And that's just because when you take a shot of tequila, it usually comes with a lime. And if you're lucky, it even comes with a salt. So you... Or, Salt to you know pour on your fingers, or you have something to both pregame and uh, you know postgame the shot with. So I think that just makes tequila such an easy one to be willing to take shots with at a bar. Um, I thought about putting margarita in here, which is certainly my favorite tequila mixed drink, but I, I read a lot of different things in terms of whether it's actually from Mexico or if it was uh, from from Texas or even California. So I, I left it off, but at the same time, Tequila Sunrise is another great tequila-based cocktail. So just overall, tequila is a great, great liquor and a very polarizing one, but it's one that I've I've come to enjoy. Yeah, I thought about putting Corona uh, on my list for top five, but just because it has the same name as a uh, a virus that's affecting our lives, I decided to leave it off. Oh, yeah, I forgot that it shares a name. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I totally forgot uh, <laughs> Corona, <laughs> the, the virus. Yeah, I totally forgot that was a thing. But, um, okay, moving on to my number four, I went with Javier Bardem, uh, a Mexican actor who is most known in my from in, in my uh, perception as playing Anton from No Country for Old Men. I don't know if you guys have seen this movie, but I've, this I've is one of the best performances I've ever seen in any role. Have Javier Bardem uh, transforms into a human like no other uh, when he plays Anton, and and it's uh, it's chilling. It's uh, it, it really. It, he makes the movie. Uh, it's the reason why I like watching that movie. And uh, I mean, there's other reasons too, but it's really uh, j- to see how Javier Bardem uh, perform. So uh, that's why he's number four on my list. A really great Mexican actor. I think uh, I think I liked him best in the Skyfall. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I like, haven't, but I, I know he's also yeah well known for that role as well. Yeah. 
that was that was definitely my favorite uh, Javier Bardem uh, role. Uh, so for my number four, it's a food item, and definitely has been mentioned in a top five recently. Uh, but I, I went with tacos, uh, and it's definitely a great uh, item for to have to eat. I actually had tacos before we came on uh, for this recording. I had Is it intentional or just coincidence? No, just coincidence. Cinco de Mayo just... came early this year. Yeah, so I got <laughs> I got Chipotle uh yesterday but i didn't finish it i got taco chicken tacos i didn't finish it and i decided to eat it before we came on as leftovers and so i you know it's sort of intentional i guess why not yeah um it's definitely a great item whether it's at taco bell or at other mexican restaurants uh and that's why it's number four okay well my number four is also a original Mexican dish that is certainly popular here in the United States and that is nachos and if I had to say my favorite appetizer it would be really hard for me not to go with nachos I've always been a huge fan of them just the concept in general just lots of cheese and lettuce and tomatoes and black olives and onions and pico de gallo and i'm not a big sour cream fan not a big guacamole fan but i know that's a a staple on nachos for a lot of people really the only reason why i have them this low on my list is because there's a lot of times where nachos come out and they're overcooked or like they're, they're an easy thing to kind of mess up when they're done perfectly they are amazing and it's it's hard to not put them at the number one mexican dish but when they're messed up they they uh, definitely lose a lot of their their allure so that's uh that's really the only thing here but amazing nachos it's it's hard to beat them so they definitely belong to my top five all right, moving on to my number three. Uh, Corey actually had it at his number five, but it's uh, tequila. And it, the reason I like tequila is because it's explicitly Mexican, uh, and it's a very well-known hard liquor. Also, like Corey said, the ritual around tequila is a lot of fun, the salt and the lime. Um, and also, I just think it's a tough one to do. It's a challenge. When people say, let's do shots, it's like, sure. It's like, tequila shots oh uh you know uh, that'll put some uh, some yeah. hair on your chest so uh yeah. that's why tequila is at number three of my top five mexican things all right so for my number three i went with cozumel which is an island in mexico and i went there on a cruise when i was 12 and I went on a Mexican cruise when I was 12 and one of the stops was Cozumel and it was a very, very nice, luxurious place that had a lot uh, of nice sights and and the, and we went to this, my family and I went to this nice resort and we had a lot of fun uh, when we were there and it was also the first time I saw a naked girl in person because we didn't know it was a nude beach until I saw one pass by me and I pointed out to the rest of my family like, hey, look at that lady over there. All right. Best of your <laughs> and, life. Yeah. So that's that's a that was a memorable day. How old day. were you? You were like I was twelve. Twelve, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the first Best time I saw a naked life. girl uh in person and not on a computer screen. And so There you go. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so yeah, I pointed out to my family and my uncle got some nice pictures uh of <laughs> Her and other and her other friends, and it was definitely an awkward moment, but it was it was a fun day. Yeah, 
And so uh, that's why it's number three on my list. All right, back to back episodes where you go a little too personal. In the, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what? <laughs> I mean, I've gone off the rails. Uh, Como uh, se dice yeah. boobies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I've also been to Cozumel on a cruise. I definitely did not accidentally stumble onto a nude beach, or else that might be my number three here. But my number three is a different city in Mexico that is uh, a traditional touristy attraction and that is cancun and i went to cancun uh all-inclusive resort both my sophomore and senior years of high school and awesome trips we stayed at the moon palace which i kind of thought about throwing that out specifically because i guess that is my experience with cancun but just in general the the resort was just so fun and just you know being in that city was uh it made for a great vacation even though i was a little too young to enjoy it my senior year i was still 17 so i couldn't legally drink there but i i still had a great time just being in their family vacation a bunch of family friends that, that were with us and a lot of great memories and uh one of my 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 sports moments my, my number one sports moment uh, that we did way back in the end of 2019 was uh and when I hit that that game winning three pointer in a kids versus adult game, it was on a one of those vacations in Cancun. So it's another another great memory for me there. Sweet. All right, coming in at my number two is authentic Mexican restaurants. Okay. And this is actually this specifically was spurred on by a meme I saw. You guys know those memes where they compare like the virgin this to the Chad that? Yeah. Um well, this one was comparing the virgin, quote-unquote, Mexican restaurant to El Chad Authentic Restaurante. <laughs> and uh, the virgin Mexican restaurant has bilingual menus, three tacos for $15.99, served by Kimberly, and like only a, a, a few decorations. And also they serve your tacos on those like a wavy, like... Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like the it's like a metal piece of yeah, metal. Yeah, it's that's like a curved. like a metal holder. Yeah, yeah, for the tacos. Meanwhile, El Chad Authentic Restaurante has menus that are only in Spanish. You can get three entrees: rice and beans for eight dollars and ninety nine cents, prepared by Miguel, and the walls are hand painted murals that are like a huge epic scene that depicts Mexican culture. Uh, not to mention like the. Uh, you can also order in completely in Spanish. So I really do love authentic Mexican restaurants. They're all over the place here in America, but they're also obviously in Mexico. And that was probably my favorite thing that I did in Mexico was eat. <laughs> and because uh, I, uh, yeah, like I, I went and stayed with my Mexican relatives for two weeks right after I graduated college. And Oh my goodness, the food there is amazing. A lot of the food is basically just the same ingredients in like different orders, <laughs> but uh, you, I never got tired of it. It's so good. Uh, so that's why authentic Mexican restaurants are my are number two on my top five. All right, so for my number two, I went with Salma Hayek, who is from Mexico, and I'm definitely a fan of hers for not just her attractive looks, but also she's also a great actress as well. And some of my favorite movies uh, that she's starred in includes uh, Wild Wild West, Grown Ups, uh, Banditas, uh, Fools Rush In, and After the Sunset. Those are definitely some of my uh, favorite movies that 
she has starred in and yeah great actress very good looking but also a great actress so she's my number two she was uh well she was also in how to be a latin lover which was a movie that was coming out in while i was in mexico and the salma hayek posters were everywhere uh around there she's big in mexico as well Sounds like those are just like a bunch of movies that are like, you know, real like high quality productions, like maybe like award winning and then grown ups. It's just yeah. like <laughs> Quinn's the only one that I've seen. So. Grown ups one I liked a lot. Grown ups two yeah. is terrible. I, I did enjoy grown ups, but I understand why, you know, maybe a lot of people didn't. Um but yeah, Salma Hayek did play a, a solid role in that. So I think that's a good one to throw out and it's <laughs> part of her credits. Um, so my number two is another Mexican food, and that is carnitas. And carnitas is basically just uh, pork. And uh, I think carnitas literally translates to little meats. It is my go-to at Chipotle, and I'll certainly love getting it at just any kind of Mexican restaurant, whether I'm getting a taco, a burrito, nachos, or enchilada, whatever whatever uh, Mexican dish I decide to go with. It's uh I'm always a huge fan of carnitas. I think it's 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 nice sometimes just getting chicken or steak, uh, but it, it's it's fun to kind of mix it up. And carnitas is certainly something that you can only get at a kind of Mexican cuisine. So it's uh it's it's definitely a tough one for me to pass up. All right, that brings us to number one on my top five list, and this one's I'm going to be actually very uh, heartfelt here. My number one. Uh, for Mexican thing is my family because like Corey said earlier I am Mexican American and the side of my family that's Mexican is completely Mexican Uh, both my grandparents on my mom's side immigrated so uh, the culture is very much alive it's very uh, it has impacted uh, me since I was a little kid and there's a lot of stuff that we do that is you know just straight up Mexican so um, I think my favorite uh, Mexican people, my favorite Mexican things all have to do with uh, it being a part of my family and the culture that I live in, um, you know, in my daily life. Sometimes it's hard to practice my Spanish when I'm out here further away from them. They're all on the West Coast, most of them, but um, it's definitely something I'm very proud of. Uh, being Mexican is very much a part of who I am. And I, I think it's awesome we're doing a top five on this podcast because, uh, you know, hell yeah, I'd love to appreciate some Mexican culture. Yeah, it definitely made sense to have you be part of this top five. So I'm glad with with the timing that it all worked out that way. Because, I, I mean, I know you've talked about your experiences in Mexico, your family before. And uh, it definitely sounds like it's a, a really cool aspect of your life. Yeah. And well, we were so cavalier talking about Irish culture, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We can appreciate <laughs> many cultures. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. So if you're going to expect a more heartfelt number one choice for me, uh, then Ben, then you're going to be greatly disappointed. But I do love nachos a lot. Probably not as much as Ben's, how he feels about his family, but I do love nachos. They taste great, have a lot of variety. And Corey did mention that they can be made incorrectly and they can be bad, but I'll, I, I look for the upside in nachos and when they're made perfectly they taste better than any mexican food that i can think of uh i'll admit i definitely am someone that prefers 
uh, cheese most of the time, but I'm willing to accept the other uh, items that go on nachos outside of guac. I don't like guac. But other than that, uh, I'm fine with anything else that's on it, and uh, I enjoy it uh, as a meal or the, as an appetizer. Uh, the Lunchables nachos, though. Oh, okay, Lunchables, maybe not. <laughs> Lunchables. No, it's just chips just... and cheese. Yeah, but Lunchables sucks. <laughs> no, I, I disagree with that. Like, I, I think Lunchables nachos are a reason to bump it up even higher because they never go wrong. Or like those stadium nachos with the uh, the nacho cheese. Yeah, and, I like yeah. I like stadium nachos a lot. They used to be always stale at Williams Rice Stadium, but after tailgating for four hours, I never cared. And then I remembered going to uh, the the Gamecocks game against NC State. Um, or no, against UNC in 2019 at uh, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. And the nacho cheese was actually like real cheese and the nachos weren't stale. And I was like, these are the best nachos I've ever had in my life because I was not expecting that at all. My elementary school, th- their food was okay. The ca- Yeah, the cafeteria food was fine, but their nachos, oh man, they were amazing. I, I would make sure that I had uh hot lunch that day we had hot lunch or cold lunch where if you had cold lunch you just bring your own food but hot lunch you would check off to make sure you you get the the food at the cafeteria and i always wanted the nachos uh, there they had the the best nachos but <laughs> yeah. wherever you get them I, they're I great i feel like those nachos are probably pretty far removed from like the I don't, yeah Mexican i know dish, absolutely but... yes. <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate nachos wherever whether if it's at the elementary school or if it's an actual mexican restaurant so that's why it's number one there you go my uh so your your number one was my number four my number one is your number four and that is tacos and it you know in terms of nachos like i said you can go very wrong with them and they're not great it's hard to go wrong with tacos especially if you just have that soft shell whether it's carnitas or chicken or steak or even fish tacos which i suppose at that point maybe you're not as much in the uh the mexican culture anymore but tacos have always been one of my favorite foods Um, i think i finally tried them for the first time when i was 11 years old at sell or on the border restaurant and I loved them right away. And that, that was like one of my foods where it was like, I couldn't believe it took me that long to try them. Uh, whether, like you said, you know, if you're going to Taco Bell, sometimes that's all, all you need is just like a nice soft taco before your, your quesadilla or whatever else you get. But whenever I go to like an authentic Mexican restaurant, like Ben was talking about, or a close to authentic Mexican restaurant to get tacos, I know that I'm going to be very happy with my order. Whenever I think Mexican food, tacos is automatically the first thing that comes to mind. And I, I love I love Taco Tuesdays, being able to celebrate them. We, we know whenever restaurants have deals, and uh, I'm certainly going to do whatever I can to make sure I have tacos on, on Wednesday night, Cinco de Mayo, because that is always my, my favorite, my go-to when it comes to Mexican food. So, Yeah, Ben went with his family, and Corey and I went with food. <laughs> Our number one choices. They're they're a second family, right? I mean, well, should I have I... just said? Should I have just said? Oh, if it weren't for nachos in elementary school, I wouldn't be here doing a top five with you guys. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say, if you really want to get yeah. heartfelt, we should have just put Ben as our number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What the hell? What is going on here, guys? Come on, <laughs> you guys oh, really value put, tacos? We even put him in our top five. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, no, I, no, mean, I mean, I, I intentionally. If I'm being Sorry, really, I, was saying, I intentionally going... didn't put any Mexican Americans. Like I wanted to kind of focus truly on Mexico, so you just you weren't gonna make I my did, list. I did. I before 
you came on Ben and Corey and I were talking. I I did mention you. <laughs> should I put should I put Ben in my yeah. top five fighting chance, or would that get too weird? I wouldn't mind it at all. I'd take it as a huge compliment. Uh, uh, but it, what I was going to say is, uh, I think that m- by going with my family as my number one Mexican thing, I like I can kind of umbrella term the food that my Mexican relatives prepare, uh, which is also my favorite Mexican food that I uh, that I have. Whenever I can get uh, my tita makes the best chile verde uh, on this uh, side of the equator, so I'm definitely uh, including that in that in my number one as well. Is uh, verde salsa your favorite salsa? Uh, it is while I'm eating it. Ask me a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> it's very spicy. <laughs> yeah. I just figured with that, that being the one that you specifically threw out there that it, it, it must have been. Well, it's what my tita is like. It's her signature. It's her signature. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Makes sense. All right. So that will wrap up this episode. Uh, Ben, thank you for joining us again, helping us talk about the draft. Of course, we got to get your takes on the the 49ers and Trey Lance and, uh, you know, just how that all played out. So certainly good luck to you guys with your quarterbacks. I'm sure that the Steelers will be in a similar spot next season. But for uh, our guest host, Ben Carlson, and my regular co-host, Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone. 